Roll Podcast. <laughs> uh, check, check, check. See if this mic works. Mm. It's been since May since we've done one of these, Adam. We're back after an extended hiatus, interrupted with a few mini docs and monologues, but the people have spoken, Adam. And here we are back with Roll On, hotly anticipated for the hardcore fans. Good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It's good to see you. Uh, we're a little rusty, unsure, <laughs> on, on unsure footing about what we're going to talk about today, uh, but I'm excited. I can feel the anticipation. Yes. In the air. I so, feel it. As always, you know, we're going to shoot some shit, maybe answer a couple listener questions, but we do have uh, a special announcement we're gonna make and we have a special guest who yes. begrudgingly is gonna be joining us after the break. And his name is Chris Evans, not Captain America. Mm. I would say Captain UK. He is the broadcasting legend himself, host of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show on uh, Virgin Radio every morning, broadcasting from London. He's been a huge supporter of this show. He's on vacation here in Los Angeles. And like, if we're doing roll on, we got to bring the guy on. Oh right? yeah. So we're forcing him out of, yeah, out of exactly. his vacation he, he, hibernation. Here. He wanted to watch, but we're not going to allow that. So he's going to be coming on after the break. In the meantime, our voicemail again is 805-421-0057. If you'd like your question answered on air, you can leave it there for a future roll on episode, whenever that's going to happen. I love it. Yeah, man. So let's do the check-in. Uh, you know what? I, it's good to be here. I've been missing you. I miss being here. Um, I was at the beach not too long ago with the family. You know, I'm at the beach with the family a lot. And I thought of, I saw the way our water fountains are being treated. And I wanted to start, just unpack the water fountain situation. So this woman comes along with her dog. The dog is thirsty, it's hot out. And she brings it right to the water fountain and turns on the water. It's not the first time I've seen this in Santa Monica turns on the water fountain, the dog hops up and starts lapping out of the water fountain. Uh -huh. And so this is this, I, I go into this immediate, like I have like one of those go into my brain. And I'm thinking, this is like a, a David Goggins moment where even the dogs in Santa Monica don't have the dog in them. And I texted him this afterwards. Used to be when we were kids, we would like we, those things were oases. We would play really hard. We'd go over there, we'd drink out of them. Some kids would like lick on them. We'd still then drink after them. It wouldn't even matter to us. And now everyone has the little bottle and has their perfect water. And the dogs even won't drink out of the gutter. The dogs used to be happy with the gutter water. What is happening to our society? So you, you sent that to Goggins? <laughs> I did, what did I he did. say? He said, oh man, it's all fucked up. That's he's, why I'm out here smoke a, this jumping. Is, this is the, so, so basically what you're saying is this is the death of civilization yes. in an anecdote, right? Yes. In a nutshell, the dog, yes. you know, refusing to drink water as given. Right, the d gutter water is not good enough for the dog. The water fountain water is not good enough for the kids. You know, I'm drinking fucking alkaline water. What, what is alkaline what, water? What is Do you know that at Erwan, there is a bottled water that costs $30. It's like 24 ounces or something like that. And it's no. got a, you know, it's like, this is your wellness elixir or something. I don't yes. know what they do to this water. I hope it's something fucking it's extraordinary. But <laughs> It's blessed by Shaolin like, monks. But it's almost like that's the allure, right? right? Like we have to buy the $30 water. Yeah, that's where we're at right now. Yeah, that's what it, that's 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 it. You know, that's what I wanted to forget talk AI. About. Forget you know the, everything else. That that's the canary in the coal mine. <laughs> right. Dogs drinking out of water fountains. Yes, 
we can, yeah, we can celebrate the uh, room temperature superconductor at at uh, ambient pressure. But <laughs> if we can't, like, you know, figure out the water thing, it's true because you can't. None of it's going to matter. No, it's uh, that's where we're at. So I think that's the canary in the coal mine. We're going to get back into that in in a second. But I wanted to also tell you a story. Uh, a helicopter was talking to me the other day. Mm-hmm. Did you see my post? Did, did, when this was happening, were you crawling around on the carpet looking for small little white particles to <laughs> smoke or stick up your nose? No. With the blinds <laughs> shut? Like no, that does sound some fun. Kind of, yeah, that this is like, <laughs> I've heard this before. It generally is in uh, in the closed rooms of the secret society. <laughs> yes, no, no. After four days of no sleep and lots of substance. Exactly, exactly. So that's why you know though, from those stories, it's never a good thing when the helicopters start talking to you. Yeah. Never awesome. Awesome. So I'm, I'm thinking good fellows right now. Right, exactly. You're like looking for helicopters. So where I swim sometimes at Will Rogers, they do maneuvers. Like sometimes it's LAPD, sometimes it's Coast Guard, sometimes it's the sheriff's chopper that you often see, it's like a turnaround spot for, for helicopters. But this time I'm swimming, doing my normal swim. I get to almost my turnaround and I, this LAPD copper does, does like three loops. And then all of a sudden I hear, Swimmer, there are five or six sharks 20 yards out from you. And I look up at this helicopter that's hovering and looking at me and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then I don't do anything. I like, I, instead I like turn behind me as if I would, and I have my mask on. Mm-hmm. I turn behind me and I'm like, all right, what do I do now? Do I swim in? Like this guy's like worried about me. Like, I don't like it when people worry about me. I just that you know it makes me uncomfortable, and so uh, then he says it again, you know, swimmer. There's five or six sharks, and I say okay. So I decide to do it. I'm pretty far out. So I are decide, you around like at the point? No, I'm on my way. So I started a little bit further south on the coast. I'm like right at Bel Air Bay Club. So usually I'll oh, swim either to Bel Air Bay mm-hmm. and back to Temescal, or I'll swim all the way to the staircase at the Sunset Surf Break, or maybe to the point. And so this time it was kind of just to to Bel Air Bay. And so I swim back, I'm pretty far out. So I do like a kind of diagonal swim. And I'm thinking about just going in. Cause it's like, even though I'm the guy that says sharks aren't scary, it's kind of weird to get a, <laughs> car, to get a helicopter. Do you really in. believe that? <laughs> it's kind of weird thing to do yeah. and not listen. Yeah. So I swim in, but then I keep swimming down. Like as soon as it sees me swim close enough to the wave, it feels like, okay, I'm fine. I like, I feel like, okay, the, the sharks didn't follow me. Uh-huh. I can go and I just swam back to my spot. Um, but I thought that was strange. I was hoping he was gonna drop a line or a ladder and you were gonna grab onto it. And then he was gonna elevate help. you out and, and you, you, you know, take you to the shore safely. Yeah, help, help. Yeah. yeah, so that was weird, that happened. Well, this just proves your thesis. It does. You're always saying the sharks are there all the time. It's just now we see them more. But yeah, well, you you know what, who my first call was after that whole thing. The Malibu artist. Right, so I call yeah. him and he says, dude, I was there the day, I was there yesterday. And I think I saw those five, five or six sharks. But he says, when there are five or six that you can see, there's always five or six you can't see. But he told me, he gave me the, the down low, which is, they're about seven, five to seven feet. So six footers, they're all uh, basically, they're all just getting pupped. So it's pupping season for great whites. We've always thought it was a nursery out there. And now this confirms, and he says they're gonna be around for like 18 months. <laughs> but that also doesn't sound great. If there's a lot of babies around, you know, doesn't that heighten the danger? Well, situation they, but they're, they're, the they're eating rays. They're not like even eating marine mammals. Yeah, but if you get anywhere near any of the pups, 
doesn't that alert? It's not the same. They're, 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 once they're out, they're out. Uh, it's not the same. Yeah, yeah fuck yeah. them once they're born. <laughs> you're it. on it's your one own. Of those, it's one of those drop we might and eat run. You, it's a drop but, and run. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, cool, man. Well, yeah. that's a that's those are two good stories. Yes, yeah, that's where I start. That's yeah, where I but, start. You know, there's been a there's been a turn journalistically, has there not? <laughs> there's been a turn. Yeah. 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 Then the New York Times Sports uh shut down its sport. The New York Times has shut down its sports desk. So New York Times Sports, as it were, I guess is not gonna exist here in the next several weeks. No one saw that coming, did they? Nobody's pretty saw- crazy. Nobody saw it coming because literally the people that worked at the sports desk weren't told until the story broke. And so everyone, we all found out at the same time. I mean, I'm not even putting myself because I don't work full time for them. So like I found out when the general public found out, but so did the people that were Mm. staffing the sports desk. And I think there's an explanation for that, that I'm not privy to, but I would imagine it's like, you don't want rumor and all that getting around. It's better to be out front and you know, whatever it happens. There's lots of, there's there's no nice way to do something like that. So to me, it's like, it, it's just the way they chose and that's mm-hmm. the way it is. But it did, you know, I, I was saddened by it and beyond personal opportunity, I was saddened by it because it was such a big deal to start writing for the New York Times Sports. You know, it all started for me in Vertical Blue 2013, my first assignment for them. Nick Mavoli dies. And basically like that assignment changed everything about my career and my life really, because it led to One Breath, which led to meeting you, which also led to reconnecting with my wife, April. And so then there's Zuma and like the Goggins thing and Can't Hurt Me wouldn't exist without One Breath, without going to to that thing. So the New York Times sports is so now like beyond just being, proud to be able to work with some amazing editors, great photographers, um, good people and, and great at what they do, um, you know, and to tell the story of these athletes and free divers, open water swimmers, mountaineers, big wave surfers, um, triathletes, you know, thanks to you. And like, being, I was, I predicted in the New York Times sports that Christian Blumenfeld would win the Tokyo gold <laughs> and then also yeah, yeah, the yeah. Ironman, yeah. you know? So like the fact that we predicted that, like that's a, a culmination of so many things in the New York Times. That's because um, because of that first assignment. And so it was like, it's really, it's been important to me. So I'm bummed by it. You know, John Branch, uh, I was able to work with him on my first A1 story for the New York Times. And and he was, he's been uh, on Twitter talking about like uh, his feelings about it. Um, I think I'll do like something on threads or, or Twitter or X, whatever the fuck it's called now. Um, I'll do like a, um, a retrospective and kind of unpack some of the stories because, you know, it's over 30, like 35 stories now I've done for them over the years. Um, and I hope to stay until, you know, I've got other editors there. So hopefully I'll be able to work with the times again. It's sad mm. for endurance and, and adventure sports because really uh, Washington Post does some of that, but the New York Times, I think, with Outside Magazine were like the top for those kinds of stories. Sure, I mean, they really invested in those longer stories. And then the art direction that they kind of infuse them with to create these experiences with video and imagery, like, you know, it was really compelling. Like the stuff that you did with Colin O'Brien when he was going across Antarctica. I mean, nobody else does that. No. And so that's gone. Gone. Which sucks. It's not about daily box scores as much as it is the more journalistic kind of stories that are human interest as much as they are sports. I mean, they kind of transcend the sports page. So I was wondering whether those kinds of stories could still find a home at the New York Times, just not under the sports page. Cause they are as much 
sort of, you know, life and style stories as they are right. sports stories? It's a very good question. I don't know exactly the answer to that yet because you're right. Like the idea was this sports desk isn't, I guess, doing the job financially and we bought the athletic. So, so the story is- the that athletic is taking over all of that, They right? bought the athletic for 500 plus million dollars. Mm-hmm. And then um, as soon as they bought it, I was worried already for the sports, my friends at the sports desk, cause I didn't know how yeah. that would all work. But then it seemed to be going along as normal. And then obviously one day it isn't. And um, I'm not privy to those decisions. Like I'm not one of those writers that goes on Twitter and yells about my my people who I work for. It's like, just, I'll never be that guy. So like, if you don't have the information, it's impossible for me to be critical about these decisions. To me, it's a decision that I think is a choice. And it, if it works out or not, they could always choose to go back. Like mm-hmm. I, was, I was writing for Playboy pretty regularly when they decided not to do nudes anymore. And I knew one <laughs> thing, that their last move was, we're doing nudes again. <laughs> so, you know, this kind of thing. That's a pretty predictable move. Right. So they could yeah. like, it's if, if, if I don't even know the math, but I'd imagine if you want to start up a sports desk, you could do it again pretty easily. So like this ne- isn't necessarily the right. end, um, but you're right. Like to me, the New York Times sports was never about, although they've had great basketball writers, had great baseball writers, have ha- they have a great, a great soccer writer, Rory Smith right now. He's a fantastic. Um, and they've got had great tennis people, but you're right. The sports section itself was kind of an, an expanded view of the sports world, which you don't get on the ESPN. Right, you're not like you're not reading right. a story about free diving and looking at these amazing photos of these people because you're a sports nut. Right, it, it really is a curiosity that's born as much from just trying to understand something you've never seen before. Right, right, right. And so I think we'll see. I mean, I they say like the sports business stories are now gonna be folded in under business. So I hope so. I hope the adventure stuff can find a way at home under travel maybe, or under like just the global desk. I mean, I don't know, we'll see. I'm gonna, find, I'm gonna try to find mm, out. Yeah, and what <laughs> happens to a friend of the pod, Matt Futterman? He's, you know, he's cranking away. He's, he's, he's still there. Still fire. The, the sports desk still seems to be functioning right now. They uh-huh. say this transition is going to be over at some point this month or next month. They say, or they've said this is public stuff, so no one's telling me anything privately. But it sounds like by the fall, whatever mm-hmm. the new thing is going to be locked in place for you as a consumer. It's still going to say sports on your New York Times app. It's just going to be done by the athletic staff. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And then I guess more broadly, how, what does that auger? in terms of the media landscape. Like, oh, the New right. York Times like got rid of their sports and no big deal. Well, they had the athletics. So it really is just a shuffling of the deck, I suppose. It but is, but I don't think the athletic it, covers these Is it these sort cool of sports. like, um, you know, Elon comes in, buys Twitter, like, you know, fires like, you know, a massive number number of the employees and somehow the app still seems to work. Right. I mean, you can argue about how well it works, but um, right. then all the other CEOs are like, huh, you know, maybe maybe I can cut my workforce back as well. Like, is there some of that happening as well, a they result say, of that announcement with other journalistic outlets? They say Bezos is taking an increased interest in the Washington Post, so that's never good. When the, when the money guy yeah. starts showing up, right? Right, like, I don't know. I mean, um, journalism has been fraught for a long time. This is a reminder that anything can happen at any time. No one would have ever predicted this. I don't think even after they bought The Athletic, it seemed to be a parallel mm-hmm. business and it didn't seem to be part of the same thing. I guess my take, my concern is like you've already said, the, the endurance and adventure sports, like do will they have a home? Because The Athletic is more kind of an ESPN, similar than ESPN, their focus is on these 
very mainstream sports. And so there's not really right. a lot of coverage there, of these. Yeah, there's, there's not a receptivity to the kind of stories that you do. It doesn't seem to be. Yes. And I wouldn't even know who, like the other thing about this business <laughs> is you have to know who to approach, right? Mm. Like, I don't know anybody <laughs> in the athletic yeah, side of yeah. things. Who's your so, guy? I don't, you don't know have an inside guy. But here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, these stories uh, find a way, right? Yeah, like yes. free diving will yeah. not die. As a matter of fact, no. it found its way all the way to Netflix. It did. And uh, your star is on the rise, my friend, because you made your Netflix <laughs> debut in a in a smash hit. It's hey, you know what? Yeah. The deepest breath. It's it's cranking. It's been top ten on Netflix for a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's, yes, it's been it's been great. I knew that I knew that that the film had potential when they first were putting it together. Laura McGann, the director and her producers at Ventureland, approached me early on. Um, because they were looking at doing a story on Stephen Keenan and Alessia Zacchini. Um, Alessia is uh, a world record holder, Italian freediver. Stephen Keenan is the greatest safety diver in the history of the sport with some amazing rescues under his belt and an, uh, has an Irish rec national record holder as well. So their, their story I'd reported on kind of the crux of what happens. I'm not gonna spoil it in the deepest breath for outside once before. And then obviously they'd read One Breath. And so they approached me early on and I was very encouraging saying, I've always loved this story. I think there's a great potential for the story. I'm happy you're doing it. It was an Irish director doing it, which I also liked. Um, and so, but then, you know, they asked me to come to Vertical Blue, but it just didn't work out. Like, I, I think it was, it was Vertical Blue right after the pandemic. It was like hard, hard for me to get there. And so I, I figured I wasn't gonna be in it. Then they came kind of towards the end of production and they've, they've, they, they, we did a shoot out here in LA. But the important question is, how much do you think Roll-On has contributed to the success of The Deepest Breath? Because definitely so. Despite my best efforts to steer the conversation away from free diving week in and week out, this is the sport that refuses to go away. It really is. You just find a reason to bring it back, and now it's on Netflix. And you know you are you're, you're playing a role in the ascension of this sport. And how many how many Skolnick heads you know were were logging into Netflix and upping up the algorithm there to push that into the top 10. There's no question the rich roll Skolnick <laughs> heads have had something yeah. to do with this. I've been hearing from them. Um, and you know what, like, it's cool to see. I think that the success of the, the movie is really that people in the mainstream are seeing the sport. Like you said, the images and the video you can get, especially now is amazing. And in Vertical Blue, they started pioneering this, this camera that it's a uh, you know, remote operated vehicle that go dive eye and it goes all mm -hmm. the way down the line. And so the, the fact that that exists, it didn't exist when, when I was doing One Breath, we only were using sonar. And so you could see it if you dove down for the first you know, 20 meters and then come back up, but you weren't seeing what's happening. The fact that you have that and you can see this footage, it's you really only like dive nerds like me that were watching that stuff on YouTube, it's out there but now people are seeing it and the way the sound design and the film is so great. It really like wraps you yeah. up. Cinematically, and yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's quite beautiful. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they um, get some Oscar Oscar noms. Yeah, that would be cool, yeah. right? Yeah. Oscar yeah. nominated Skolnick. I might Appearing have Appearing in an Oscar <laughs> nominated. <laughs> so here I'm, I'm looking at the outline and you've got like eight more points about freediving in here with a bunch of names, Eastern Bloc and Russian, Ukrainian names in here. We're not, we're not gonna do this, Adam. We're not, we spent enough time on freediving okay. today. We're not gonna do that, right? we're, not, we're not gonna. Yeah. Like we <laughs> don't need to get into buy fins and you know, yeah. whatever. It's cool, check out the show on Netflix. End of story. <laughs>
End of story. Right? Let's put a button on this. Okay. Um, uh, can I just say one thing? Alexei Molchanov, two more world see, records. Like, what? 133 <laughs> meters, bro. One breath. 133 meters. Cool. Cool. That is awesome, actually. <laughs> it is awesome. It is All awesome. right. I, I gave you that one. All right. Maybe I'll edit Snuck it, it out. out. Snuck it out. Yeah, cut yeah. it out later. Anything else you want to share? I'm going to ask your, Chris Evans update? what he thinks about free yeah, diving. Trust me, I'm sure he's got an opinion or two. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, what about you, man? What's been going on? I know you've uh, been working been on that. i just been sitting here waiting for you to ask about me, Adam, <laughs> so I could share. Do you sometimes, when you're sitting across from someone, just completely tune out and just plan what you're going to say next? I do do that or I have done that, but that's also, when I start doing that, I know that things are going off the rails. It's not gonna be a good podcast. Cause if I thing. can't pay attention, yeah, it's, it's not good. That's not you, that's not no. you. Um, I'm good, man. Life is good. I'm dealing with uh, a little in-between hair right now. You know, I had short hair. I'm, I'm decided to grow it out a little bit. Right. And now I don't know what to do with it. And it just looks bad no matter what I do. I think and this is true. It, growing the beard out, getting a little more hair suit. Well, I was telling, when I first saw you, I said how great you looked. I appreciate I like that. this in-between yes. look. Well, there's a power dynamic between us though, right? I have to take that with the greatest salt. <laughs> you don't trust my opinions? <laughs> no, I do. Uh, um, a lot, man. Since we last did this, again, end of May, yeah. I mean, where to even begin? A lot of travel, a lot of family time. Yeah. I think the last time we did it was right before I went to Australia. Yes. So I went to Australia, yes. did, a bunch, did a couple of podcasts, gave a speech had some trips with the kids, uh, recorded a ton of podcasts. Um, we're finalizing Voicing Change Volume 3. Oh, exciting. So more on that soon, but that book is on the horizon. Uh, oh, we have um, Sir Patrick Stewart coming in later really? this week. Really? Yeah. That's great. That's an exciting guest. For sure. Yeah, that'll be fun. Um, we passed a million YouTube subscribers. So thank that. you everyone who, who has uh, subscribed to that channel. Um, that's pretty exciting. Interestingly, did you know that 80% of the views that we get on YouTube are from non-subscribers? No, what does that mean? Weird. It means that people watch our videos and don't subscribe. So that means you have potentially like eight million without, viewers or who something. Knows? Yeah, so right. anyway, if you haven't subscribed and you watch on YouTube or you've gotten value from the show on YouTube, just, just hit that stupid button. Yeah. That's all I'm asking. Maybe but, hit, a, hit a like button too once in a while. <laughs> One million is pretty free. good. One million is pretty no, good. No, it's man. pretty cool. It's, it's surreal. Good. I mean, not yeah. that, you know, I posted about this on Instagram. I, I try not to get caught up in, in that kind of stuff because it just, you know, it, it, it tweaks with how you think about what you want to do on the show when you start thinking about numbers and audience and stuff like that. Right. But um, I think it's important to, to celebrate those um, landmarks. For sure. You know, also for, all of our coworkers here and 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 for the fans and the people that have been on this journey with us it's 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 a wild thing man that's a lot of people it's hard your brain can't really wrap itself around that well the 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 youtube channel kind of you only started intensively looking at youtube not too long ago actually in terms of the life of the show right a handful of years ago yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and we're still learning a lot you know i i, I would say the the vast majority of the audience is audio only still. And, and we're learning as we go with YouTube. Uh, and I think there's a lot of growth opportunity there and it's exciting. And I love the fact that we do it visually and we have the studio and you know we're executing at such a high level in terms of production value and trying to deliver something interesting you know, on that platform. So anyway, it's a, it's a cool little thing to celebrate. So thank you everybody for that. Super cool. On the health front, um, I've had a lot of progress uh, with my lower back. 
I know I've shared many times about being kind of hampered, so to speak, um, through this chronic lower back injury um, and pain that I've been dealing with for many, many years. But the last person on the whistle stop tour uh, was a guy that I found up in Sonoma County who's really been helping me out. So I've been going up there uh, like once a month. I've been up there for three visits where I stay for a couple of days. This guy works on me and I've had um, real progress. I'm not out of the woods yet, but I've had more mobility and flexibility and less pain than I've had since probably like 2000. 17, which was the last time that I was truly like fit. So I'm not exactly back to training training, but I can move my body in a way that I haven't been able to in a number of years. So I see wow. light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I still have a long way to go to kind of completely liberate myself of this issue, but um, I'm pretty optimistic for the first time in a long time. And I think I'm gonna be able to solve this short of surgery, which was my goal to figure it out. And if I needed surgery, I'm happy to have surgery, but I wanted to explore everything else prior to that. Um, and had kind of uh, lost hope and had resigned myself to, you know, getting cut open and having it dealt with that way. But um, I'm actually having real progress right now. So we'll see where that leads, but I'm back on the bike. I can swim. I got to keep it pretty chill. Uh, the running stuff is at a very low simmer at the moment, but everything else, like I'm, I'm able to, I just, I feel like myself again. You That's know? Awesome. It's like you forget, like, this is who I am. And when I can't express myself that way, I don't feel myself. Right but I really do feel like myself uh, in a way that I'd almost forgotten. And that's pretty exciting and feels good. It's exciting. Good. And did, yeah. is this a, a PT guy or is it a, a, like a, 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 he's a, a medical he's doctor? A, he's a multidisciplinary. No, it's, got, it's a, a long story. He, he has a lot of different modalities that he works with, but he has a very specific chiropractic technique that is very painful where he cracks my back in a certain way that, makes me feel like he's gonna paralyze me, um, but has really uh, loosened things up for me. Wow. Yeah, it's been good. Interesting. Yeah, cool. Um, that's really it. Uh, I don't have lots of funny stories about water fountains and sharks and stuff like that. You know, I just come to the studio and I do my thing. <laughs> Although- I think uh, about my warm open for days in advance. I, I can tell, it's very scripted. <laughs> a little state, some no. I have notes, Adam. It felt a little spontaneous, but yeah. maybe a little bit too thought out beforehand. But you used to, I used to come on here and just say, I'm great, how are you? And then I started getting heckled, remember? <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyway, um, life is good. I'm very grateful to be able to do this thing and uh, celebrate it with so many people. So I just wanted to recognize the audience for taking this journey with us. It's good to be back with you. Um, I am headed to London in a couple of weeks, uh, which I'm very excited about. I wanna share a little bit more about what that is all about, uh, but I think this is a good time to take a quick break and then we'll come back and bring Chris on. Beautiful. Awesome. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this 
heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking Ons high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fair Trade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic fair trade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive. And the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to the many, many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof, and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health, from fermented food to fiber and everything in between, including, of course, the importance of supplementing with a probiotic. And the one that I have come to trust far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based, and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue, and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily personally for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer. That's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. All right, are we good? No. We're not good? I'm not good. Come on, Chris. <laughs> you look fantastic. I know. Look at you. I am You're a star. Over the moon to have you sit 
here and join us today. I have no idea what's gonna happen. We have a whole outline. I have a feeling we're not gonna get to any of it, but I'm just thrilled to sit across from you to have you in the studio so you can share this experience with us. But also before we even get into anything, like I, I honestly, from the bottom of my heart, uh, I, I owe you such a massive debt of gratitude. I just wanted to thank you publicly for all the support that you have given, that you continue to give uh, to the podcast, to roll on specifically. And you know, when I go to London, like the popularity of the show in the UK and in London specifically is due entirely to your promotion and advocacy. And you know, it's just it's. I can't thank you enough for the support that that you've given us over the years. It like really means a lot. And so it's an absolute thrill to have you here today. Thank you so much for all that. However, that doesn't mean I'm not totally opposed to my own appearance on this program right <laughs> <I know>. now. <laughs> I couldn't be more against what is currently happening on Roland. As a super Deep fan down, of Roland. You're, you're, you love it. Nah. You're, you're happy to be here. I know you are. I, I was thrilled to be invited out to come and watch you and, and meet the whole team who I love, by the way. Um, but there are a few cardinal sins on, that you commit from time to time on uh -huh. Roland. Yes. The, the, the biggest cardinal sin is when you invite a third party on to the show. So I am now committing the cardinal <laughs> sin, but I'm not committing it. I, but I bear it's the committing responsibility. Me. I don't know, it's not yeah, fair. I'm forcing you, <laughs> so people, I take responsibility for People that. back in the UK, I would say he's just saying that he, cut, he loves beer. I, I am so against this appearance. Aww. That's the first thing. The second thing is when you mess around with the original, actually, no, that's the third thing. The second thing is when you refer to via emails or text to me, oh, it's gonna be an old school Roland, right? Like Roland's been around forever, right? Roland, in audio entertainment, in, in our universe, yes. this podcast has been around for about a minute, let alone Roland, yet you refer to Roland as an, oh, we may do an old school Roland, oh my God. <laughs> You've been on the air for about a second, you two, okay? Get, but, back, get back in your I boxes. Know. In the podcast world, Actually, time moves very, very, very fast. Yeah. Very, very, very fast. Okay. Yeah. yeah well, let's yeah, go yeah, with yeah, that. Yeah. 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 And the, anyway, the third thing is to mess around with the format. And that is, I, I, you know, I love Roland. <clears throat> I know. I, I was. You're, I, you're the Roland number one fan. I couldn't be more thrilled to be invited out to Los Angeles to meet Adam and his friend Rich. <laughs> That's very kind of you. <laughs> you're welcome. I want notes though. I like your notes. Like you, you've always been a big supporter of this version of the podcast. You have strong opinions about when we go astray, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And you're you're the fucking legend, dude. So yeah. I when you say do this, don't do that, like I'm paying attention. I hope to goodness I don't say to you two, do this, don't do that, where this this or well you say this concerned. works for me, this doesn't work for me. Yeah, no, you have a certain mm -hmm. wisdom. You're not just the average listener, you actually, uh, you know, you've you've made quite a name for yourself in in this broadcasting business. So of course we're going to listen to everything you say. <sighs> please, everything. please don't do that. Please, <laughs> the number two problem most people have in the, in the world, yeah, is is getting what they want, because the number one problem is that they have is they don't know what they want, right? Mm -hmm. And when you refer to well. You know, the feedback has been this, the feedback. They don't know what they want. People listening to this, they just reverse engineer mm. what they think they want because then they have the agency over, they wanted it in the first place. Mm. They need what you give them and then they interpret that as to what they want. So you just, you come from the heart and you express yourself authentically and the people will come. 
That's what happens. Yeah. yeah, and the guests will come. And your team, you, I heard the backstory of your team and how they came to be and how Jason mm. came, you mm. know, to relocated here and Dan relocated here. Yeah. You know, and they were all doing different things at different times, you know, and, and Dan was a pastor. Right. Um, you know, and uh, he was a whole different human being. And then he realized that he was losing his faith and that he wasn't living to his true nature. And that's why the road of life was bumpy. And then the more you align yourself to who you are, you know, and Guru Singh talks about this all the time, then the more things start to happen because you're sailing with the wind as opposed to rowing against the tide. Mm -hmm. And suddenly life gets a bit more fluid and fluent and it's yeah, all more. Yeah. And that's how it feels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's that's a, yeah. a great way of putting it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you you share that from a place of wisdom and like learned, lived experience because you're somebody not, you know, as a broadcaster, you've been doing this for a long time, but you've had massive success. You've, you know, kind of come to terms with the emptiness of certain aspects of that. And the way that you live your life now is very different from how you were living it not that long ago. Well, it's 67 days ago, I had my last drink for yeah. You even stopped me drinking. I know, that's fantastic. 67 days? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm my wife. And we we stopped on a on a Saturday morning. Nobody stops drinking on a Saturday morning. Mm, no, you well, leave it till well, a Monday. You, had, you wait till after Friday Sunday night, lunch, right? We had we had quite a big fun. <laughs> hey, Sunday lunch, you, gotta, you <laughs> yeah. gotta have Sunday lunch, then you quit. Yeah, yeah or Saturday yeah. night. Yeah, but we did that thing where I told you I went to a what meeting. What was on, happening? Well, I, nothing really. I mean, you know, why why does anybody drink? Why does anybody consume anything from the outside in? You know, um, to to pursue pleasure um, for various reasons. Very various differing times in one's life, you know? And I told you, I went to this meeting on the beach the other day and this guy described it beautifully. He said, you know, for a long time when I was drinking and I was using and I was abusing things and substances and people and having a great time, but without little substance, although all the substances, then you have all the fun. You can have all the fun. And then you have a lot of the fun and you have a few problems and then you have more problems and a bit of fun. And then you just have the problems. That's one way of describing it. Another way of describing it, and there are thousands, as you know, um, would be the, you used to have a drink to take the edge off. Yeah. Well, I found now that we were having a drink and it was taking the shine off. Mm. because our lives were shiny. Mm. And I suddenly felt like whatever was working before wasn't working now. And the next day there was less of the good stuff and there was more of the good stuff to begin with. It was more palpable. And why would you rough up your own diamond as it were? Yeah. And that we, I got up 60, whatever, 67 days ago. Mm. And I said to Tash, I don't know this anymore. Should I'm with you. Mm. And then we just stopped. That's beautiful. Um, <laughs> so it's just athletic greens from here on out. AG1, baby. Yeah, yeah run to my place. <laughs> yeah. Come on. I love that. But even, so you're even beyond that. athletic greens now? Yeah, yeah anything. <laughs> yeah. Mainlining it. Mocktails. Yeah. Athletic greens, yeah. mocktails. Running yes. our kids in it and then yeah. smelling them. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, I had mentioned uh, before the break that I'm going to London in a couple of weeks. And uh, a bit, you know, uh, the main reason for that is I'm going to be participating in your upcoming car fest event. So I wanted you to share a little bit about what that event is about, but just the fact that it's called CarFest is interesting because it illustrates a little bit of your arc because it's not, you used to be like a guy with a huge car collection, right? Like you're, you had like a Jay Leno situation going on, but you don't live that way. You're on vacation. Everything you packed is light walk-in style in that backpack over there. You've really stripped down your life and gotten 
more clear on what's important, what's not important. So as a lead into talking about CarFest, like just share a little bit about that journey because I think people think, well, that's fine for him to say, but like I, I need that success and that success is gonna fill that hole for me and you found otherwise. Yeah, this is turning into a proper show now. I know, I can't help it. I can't help it. Adam, just, I told you the outline. I'm People wanted Roland back and Roland right, was we'll back, back for 25 it. minutes. And there, are, there is a bunch of stuff I need to talk about, oh, but go ahead. Really? I want to contextualize <laughs> it. Jeez. Oh, just came here to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I promise I came here to watch. Now you have to open your heart and soul. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I know. A tear would be good. Carfest started off as, um, I always wanted to do a family festival. Um, and so, but I, I knew that if, calling it a family festival, whatever, would be something that um, w- would be a, a worthy thing to do, but it wouldn't get people through the door. Um, and then one day I was going uh, to this, um, and no, I wasn't going anywhere. It was January, it was the third week in January. It was, it was raining even more than it usually does in, in Britain. And it was cold and it was miserable. And there was this car show, an indoor car show in January when nobody had any money. And there was a 25 mile tailback on the motorway, the highway, because people were going queuing up to go to this car show. I think people go to car show third week in January, indoors. Let's just, co- let's call our family festival a car show. Mm. And so, so we did mm. uh, and it worked. And so we got families to come to the car. It was a car festival, yeah. but there were bands on as well. And that was 21 festivals ago. And since then it's transmogrified, but I was, I did, I was into cars at the time. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but I evaded your question and yeah, I didn't yeah, want to. Yeah. No, but I mean, no. it's a great thing to bring kids to. So it's like, like Zuma, if, if it was a, if it was like a construction vehicle show, yeah. we'd be there. Yeah. Well, you know, it's fun. It's yeah, fun, isn't yeah. it? You know, it, it gets people through the gate, but then every, you bring everything else in the back door. It's a bit like your podcast, you right, know, it's right. a bit like the fact that, it's an easy conversation. Uh, it's you. You have a lovely articulation, uh, you know, and a great point of view on life. You, you've 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 lived and died once, and we all know you only get you get two lives, not one. The second of which only begins when you realise the first one is over, and that's the phoenix from the flames, and that's the great inspiration for all of us. Today's a new day, every day above ground, all this kind of stuff. Um, and but it's those. Do you bring these stories in via the back door? Is that too sort of uh, strategic, or is is it a soft? launch or is it, does it make it easy for people to get in or whatever? Um, but that's how our festival started mm-hmm. as a car festival. And now it's still called Car Fest. We thought about changing the name, um, but it still has great cars and it now has 21 bands and it has loads of people and you're coming to speak at it. And it's fucking great. Yeah, it's cool. It's great. And um, you, you you get like 80, 100,000 people coming through, right? Yeah. And all the money goes Amazing. to charity. 100%. Every single penny goes yeah. to charity. Amazing. Yeah. Incredible. So I know uh, the Happy Pair guys, I think are coming. Yeah, Russell, Russell Brand. Brand's coming, Laura's coming. So I don't know where you're gonna throw me in here or there, but I'm I'm willing and ready to there are do many, whatever you want me to do. Many hay bales that you can sit yeah. on and you can, you can orate and you can uh, hypnotize and you can, do whatever the hell you like, Rich Roll. Cool. Rich, are you still into hypnotism? <laughs> I had the hypnotism guy the on the hypnosis? show. Hypnosis? Right? <laughs> he told me I was not that hypnotizable though. They do this right. test where you look up or whatever with your eyeballs and they can tell how receptive you are to hip- hypnosis. Mm, that's good. Did you know that? If you listen to my podcast, you would know this. I knew that. Yeah. His, oh, yeah. his dad taught him. <laughs> but Ed Hawkins, you read Ed Hawkins has written a book called The Men on Magic Carpets. Mm. I don't know this book. Do you know this? No. Oh, it's so good. So the US military employed 
hypnosis, mass hypnosis, you know this. Yeah, it was like the men staring at goats project. Yeah, right? yes. same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, from the same seed of the US military, and they brought in some famous uh, sort of uh, psychics from around the world. And they didn't care if these, th these guys were frauds or not, because it, just in case they weren't, because in war, anything is worth it, it's to, to, depending on your point of view. Right. And they brought in all these people and they, they, they said, there, there is something here, there is something here. And what they did was, um, the book is all about the fact that these super hypnotizers with these superpowers of hypnosis who were employed in the military, who were soldiers, but just happened to have them and they were deployed behind enemy lines to disrupt the vibration of the enemy. They then, at the end of uh, any particular conflict, were unemployed. So sports teams in the US started to employ them to place them in opposing fans' areas of the stadium <laughs> uh -huh. to disrupt the vibration of the crowd that would then influence the, the players on the pitch and fuck up their whole gameplay. Wow. And it's a real thing. He's a guy called Ed Hawkins and you would love him. He's right. like the he's like the J. Robert Oppenheimer of hypnosis. Yes. Yeah. But also they the say Manhattan that Manhattan yes, Project yes. of Hypnosis. Yes. Yeah. But they say that cinema and and radio shows and podcasts and literature is all a form of mass hypnosis anyway. Oh, there's no question about for that. Sure, yes. There's no question yeah. about yeah, yeah. that. Speaking of mass hypnosis, I think there's people running around LA uh, still dressed in pink from Barbie. Now they're just filing into SoFi for the uh, for Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Yeah. Taylor Swift. I mean, there is something about social media and the group think kind of paradigm, not for good and for bad, that is, there's a hypnosis of the phone, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. that's we're we're conducting a massive experiment on we just don't know it. at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we kind of know it, but we're all signing up for it anyway. Some people know. Yeah. Um, well, I'm excited to go to Carfest. Uh, what's the website for it and the dates? Because it's not Fest. sold out. If anyone's listening, Carfest.org. We can always fit more people in. Come and join us. Take, even if you can't stand me. <laughs> just yeah. come anyway. There's and, 100,000 people there. You, yeah, you, you this, don't have to rub elbows with Chris. Absolutely, yeah. you don't need to do that. <laughs> but uh, lo lots of great people there for all the right reasons. And it's just, uh, somebody once said one of the best things, uh, two, well, two different people said two different things. One said, one of the best things you can do is buy a ticket to help someone you'll never meet. And that's what you'll be doing by coming to this festival. And somebody else said, another great thing that a human being can do is give other human beings a reason to get together. And this fulfills both those. Yeah, that's oh, beautiful. beautiful. And yeah. you will have a great time. Yeah, cool. August 24 to 26? August 25 to 27. 25 to 27. But we'll take you whenever you yeah. get there, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> and if you wanna leave early yeah. to go to Switzerland, <laughs> that's right. coming up by yeah, the way. Right. Yes. Um, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So so after, after I do CarFest, I'm actually um, headed to Zurich, which mm. I'm very excited about. Uh, the reason for that is to visit the headquarters of On, On Running, the running shoe brand. You can see I'm wearing the On shoes uh, because we have just, I'm taking this opportunity to announce this uh, incredible, huge new partnership that we formed with On. So I'm gonna go to the headquarters and visit with the folks there, um, which is, is you know, honestly, like I'm, I'm happy I'm going to CarFest, but really I'm going to Zurich. It's okay. Yeah. I'm fine. I'm happy to be the bridesmaid. <laughs> These guys. Yeah. Um, we'll take and, whatever rich role we can get. And, uh, you know, this is a relationship um, that uh, we've been cultivating for some time. It's a cornerstone partnership in not just the business of this podcast, but I think it's representative of um, the value set behind 
the, you know, the why behind everything that we do. And let's face it, this is a commercial enterprise. The show doesn't exist without sponsors. Uh, but I think, you know, it's interesting to kind of address this from a broader perspective to kind of understand the decisions that get made about who to align with in this commercial enterprise. If you listen to podcasts, you're used to hearing ads. Um, for a lot of shows, it's just, you know, something that people do, like they just, do ads for you know whoever will buy ad space on their show. And the longer that we've been doing this, the more I've come to realize that I don't really wanna participate in that game. Obviously, you know, we need sponsors to do what it is that we do, but I'm not interested in just aligning with whoever. I'd much rather have, and this is the consensus with everyone who works here, to have fewer partners but more in-depth relationships with those partners. So as you might imagine, uh, we're on the receiving end of a lot of inquiries, people who wanna advertise on the show. And I would say, we say no to you know 95 out of 100 of those requests, we reject them because there isn't, there's just something that's not properly aligned. But every once in a while, somebody shows up where the values align almost perfectly with what we're doing. And I would say, wholeheartedly that that's the case with On. Um, this is a company that uh, is really headed in the right direction. They truly are all about trying to get people out and move in the most kind of community-based way. They are uh, an organization that has big designs on the future of products and sustainability and circularity and the materials that they're working with. And they're just a high high vibe group of people who, you know, I just think we can do amazing things together. Mm. So I'm really excited to launch into that. Can I ask you a question about like the interworkings of uh, how you choose, like how you're, you say you're hyper-selective and obviously the bigger the show has gotten, the more corporate opportunities are coming to you, right? Which I would imagine are pretty lucrative. So how do you go about, what's the, what's the way that you kind of, these opportunities come to you and how you make the selection and in terms of on, like how did that come about? So it comes in various ways. I mean, you get incoming emails all the time. Um, and we have uh, uh, a management team that kind of vets all this stuff as a kind of first line of defense. So it all has to pass through their kind of machinery before it even gets to me, a lot of the incoming. But often it's, I'm looking at companies that are out there and going after the ones that, you know, I think would be good partners rather than just reacting to what's out there being intentional. Like here are the people that I would like to align with. And sometimes, you know, that takes a long time to cultivate those relationships and get to a place where it makes sense on both sides because it's a partnership. It isn't just, oh, you're an advertiser. It's like, hey, I realize like I'm, you know, I need to enter this relationship from a perspective of how I'm delivering value for the brand. It's not just how much money can I get from them? So I'll do a 60 second read. Like, yes, you hear the ad, but what's really going on is this exchange of values and how we can mutually benefit each other through this exchange. And so very few companies make it through that. Um, or there are some cool companies that are doing really interesting things, but maybe there's something off about them. Let's revisit that a little bit later. It's, an, you know, it's kind of like a dynamic organism that's always shifting and evolving. Right. No, I mean, it's good to, that you, to hear that because I know personally, my parents will buy anything you suggest. So the fact that there is a nice, like you're, you're really vetting it and it's really not just 
something that kind of topically aligns, but there's a deeper alignment, I think is cool. No, they're conscious yeah. decisions. Yeah. They're value-based decisions, yeah. but people know, I know when I'm listening. I everybody so. knows. No, but everybody knows, we all know. That's, that's why that show's called The X Factor. Mm. Everybody knows. Sometimes we don't even know we know, but we know. I definitely don't know, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, how's this going for you so far? It's hell, it's hell. I'm trying to pretend that it's okay. This is not okay. Even when we got a little bit meaningful before, that's still, none of this is okay. I just came to Los Angeles for 28 days to pretend to live here. So that's what I do once a year. I come and pretend that I live here, that I toy with what kind of jobs, what kind of job could I get if I came here? Top of the list so far. I'll do anything here, I just, not, not behind the mic. I would come and work on the team. I would, I'd come here and run Russell Brand's company. I would mm. do that. But his company's in the UK. So he would have to move his company like so I could run he it. He back. lives next door to you basically. Yeah, but so he would have to move everybody just so I could come and get a job here. Uh -huh. But then I was thinking about, I, I could be a pool guy. Mm. I'd be very happy being a pool guy up in the hills, up Doheny, up in the yeah. bird streets. What about one of those guys that like spins the arrow? At the car dealerships? No, no. Not gonna spin the arrow? No, not nowadays. I'm 57. The, mm. the, the digits weren't what they used. I don't do have it. the dexterity. But at the pool, I could do the pool. And it's yeah. very meditative. It's so nice. I could do the pool. I could walk dogs, nice big GMC van with the sliding door. It's a lot about the vehicle for me. Cause I, I really want to get a Rivian. Yeah. But you can't get a Rivian on, on planet earth at the moment. Too. I don't think you can get the Rivian on the dog watcher, walker salary. No, either. I know that, but yeah, I, I would, Well, this is LA. We were talking beforehand. There, <laughs> yes, there's yes. certain jobs the dogs. that are, that we were thinking of a new segment on the podcast only in LA. Yes. Tell them about because your dog you whisperer. Because you can be a superstar pool guy or a dog walker in Los Angeles. Or a dog wrangler. Rock star. Do you want yeah, to talk about us, the dog yeah. wrangler? Tell us about we Aki's have, pack. We have the world's greatest, it's an insult to call him a dog walker. So we have two big dogs. And there's a guy in our area called Aki, and he has developed quite the reputation for being the guy to like take care of your dogs, like during the day, if you're off at work. And he shows up with a trailer and he'll come into our house and get our dogs at like 5.30, six in the morning. And those dogs will join a pack of about 40 dogs. And he takes these dogs out on trails that he, he makes his own trails. He goes up in the Santa Monica mountains and like, bushwhacks his own trails and he rides a horse bareback and he has all these dogs without leashes, no leashes. And he is in total command of these dogs and they have a blast just running all over, going in creeks and all this kind of stuff. And this guy is an absolute wizard. Like he thinks like a dog, he understands dogs. These dogs respect him. He's a very handsome dog, it's, isn't he? And he's a very handsome guy. He's right? legitimately and an so alpha he dog. Is, he's actually an alpha dog. He makes dog. his own dog food. He delivers it to your house. Like this guy is a superstar, right? Sounds, oh, sounds like a, he could afford a, a Rivian. Yeah. A, I, wonder how much, I wonder how much he gets paid. <laughs> that's, the, no, that's my it's Rivian guy. It's not cheap. It's not cheap. I think he's doing fine. Um, but my point being like, you know, only in LA would this guy be able to like do his thing. And, you know, we got a snake wrangler guy like that. Who's the snake There's wrangler? Oh uh, shit, what's his name? But what does he do? What, his what's his deal? He dresses up like Crocodile Dundee and he shows up at your house. So if you're, you know, in certain months of the year, like the like rattlesnakes are a thing, like it's a yeah. real thing, they're and all over the place. So if you're gonna have like a dinner party outside or you're gonna have a wedding at your house or a birthday party, you kind of wanna have this guy come over and do a quick check before a bunch of little kids are gonna be running around. Right. And invariably, no matter what, he finds a rattlesnake. 
So I'm convinced that he's releasing them. He brings them he with brings him. He brings them with him. He has one yeah. rattlesnake. But if he does he find them, then them he will, if I'm being charitable, you know, he, he does find them, he'll relocate them. And then he does all this to the next snake house. education. Like he's got binders and he does stuff with kids where he explains to them what happens if you get bit by a snake and all he this stuff He like relocates them that. to the next party. Mm. So, yeah, he can right. exercise so he can exercise it again. The, yeah, it's exactly. It's circular. It's, it's a, a good circular business. economy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I know. So I can see that for you. Yeah. But you're like, listen, you're locked in in I London am. I am with Virgin. In. I right? am. You're not going anywhere anytime soon. No, but I think one day we'll end up here. I love it here. I used to live here. I love yeah. it. Yeah. What is it about LA? Because I'm I'm falling in love with London. We, we can, could do swap. We could <laughs> swap if you we like. Could swap for, we, could, we could do half a year, half a year. Yeah. It'd be fine. Yeah. Uh, LA. Some people say they don't like, you know, America, which is an understatement. Some people say they don't like Los Angeles, which I think is an understatement. It's like, because there's some part of everybody and everywhere that is likable, mm. you know, mm. uh, and what is what is good and what is bad, you know, it is only thinking that makes it so, Adam, who said that? Um, you just said it. Shakespeare said it <laughs> yeah, before yeah. me, but- Somebody else did before <laughs> yeah. him, but that's okay. Yeah, he's the latest to say it. Uh, <laughs> I heard of him. Yeah, yeah I, I, for me, it just, it just lights me up. And for, for a long time, I didn't come here on purpose. And I didn't come here on purpose because I knew it would light me up so much. It would influence my thinking and my style and all this kind of stuff. And like, because I'd witnessed other people that had been over here because, you know, my wife loves New York. She likes LA, but she she really loves New York and likes LA. I like New York and I love LA. Mm. You know, it's horses for course, I think. But I witnessed a lot of people that came over here then came back to the UK and were too sort of Americano by it all or, or Los Angeloed up. Uh -huh. And so I left it a while until I was, I think I was 27, 26. I came here with work, first of all, um, to do a TV thing. And um, 27 years old, came out, fell in love with the whole thing, creative process. People mean it, they get it done. You've got to be any good to be in the room. You know, that great mm -hmm. phrase, you know, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. Rarely, yeah. Ha rarely happens over here. It might happen for one meeting. If it happens for two, you've got to have a serious word with yourself. Um, I love all the pre-breakfast stuff. The, you know, we had a few meetings with, well, we were, we were hot at the time for a mm -hmm. TV show and, um, Bernie Brustin was my manager. You know Bernie oh, Brustin. Wow. Oh, wow. I, I didn't know him personally, but I he was my manager. He him and Brad Gray, right? Right. And um, came over here, to, and you know all the things that happened before ten. You know, breakfast meeting here, breakfast meeting there. It's exciting stuff. It's juicy. You know, people can say it's BS. I didn't find it BS at all. Mm. I find people who call out other people who are doing things. Uh, it's a bit of a lot of projection. Mm -hmm. You know. You know because they're not doing anything. Well, it's easy to make fun of Los Angeles and you know, there's a lot of problems here in traffic, but I think most people's experience is they fly into LAX, which is the most, the world's most embarrassing airport. It's just fucking horrible, right? And then they're on the 405, <laughs> yeah. they're stuck in traffic. Yeah. It's, you know, crowded. It takes forever to get from one side of town to the next. So it's an easy low hanging target. Also, know? it's it's the problem with LA as someone who's a visitor who doesn't have a connection here is that it's kind of obtuse. It's hard to wrap your head around. It's like this massive kind of concrete well, there's no locus dragon. To right. Anything that's and, going and, on. And especially for years when downtown was like a no go zone, like there was just nothing culturally interesting happening down there, really, in terms of like, uh, 
entertainment or, or, or restaurants. There was some interesting kind of niche, niches, but there wasn't really like, it wasn't really the happening spot. Now there's a lot more happening in all the different neighborhoods, but it's just hard to kind of know where to go when and what's happening because it's just so big. And there's like, so you've carved out Venice, right? Venice is your spot. Yeah, yeah. And so you'll notice that you probably won't leave Venice too much, right? No, I mean, right. not at all because yeah, we don't have yeah. a car while we're here. So, right. right. So, we just... <laughs> so that's a good way to carve out a time in LA is to pick your spot. Yeah. And yeah. just, you know, get, get into the, to the detail of it all, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and live, pretend, you know, we're very fortunate. We, I get four weeks holiday in the summer. So we can, we rent a house, we don't stay in a hotel. So we can pretend to live here. It's, I'm sure it's nothing at all like living here, even from having lived here in the past, but that was up in the hills. But, um, but I, I love it. I think the difference in the demographic of the people you can see, if you take a run on the boardwalk at 6 a.m., between 6 a.m. and 5 a.m. in five minutes, you've seen so many different kinds of people, mm. different genres, different bents, different uh, status or whatever that means, you know. Um, but, you you know, the, the only thing to fear is, is fear itself. I think, you know, they, they say, but isn't that, isn't that a police helicopter hovering over your house at 500 feet for most of the day? I say, yeah, how much would that cost <laughs> security-wise? <laughs> Who's got that? That's a, that's Meg, a Megan and Harry don't yeah. have that. No. And they're paying through the nose. Yeah. Yeah. This is yeah. for free. It's yeah. the safest yeah. neighborhood in the world. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's for free. Um, you said something before we started oh, about no. Parito's law of living. Parito? Parito's Parito. principle. Parito's principle. Yeah. Go. Talk to us about that. Cause you were saying that there's something on the, like your experience of running on the boardwalk surfing there and then like seeing LA come to life in the morning kind of made you think of it? Well, pretest principle is the 80-20 rule. Basically there's different interpretations of it, but 80-20. Yeah. So for example, in business, in life, friends, whatever, energy. Uh, so 20% so, so of your activity gives you 80% of the, the sort of end product of whatever that may be. 20% of your customers sometimes give you 80% of your revenue. 80% of your customers only give you 20% of your revenue and often 80% or even 100% of your problems. So it's about identifying the most efficient energy you can put into various lanes of your life that will give you the greatest um, uh, the greatest sort of uh, payback. Yeah. Um, and you can do it with people and you can do it with energy. And like, for example, in the morning you get up, well begun is half done. You know, so you wake up, um, somebody said the other day, I woke up, uh, you know, and when I was living this life, which wasn't great, I had all, I woke up and my, uh, my, I'd just been dumped and I didn't like my boss uh, and I didn't have any money and I was about to get thrown out of my apartment. Well, actually, no, that ha that's not what happened. What happened was I woke up and opened my eyes. That's actually what happened. Right. But mm -hmm. the story goes, blah, 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 blah. So that's the opposite of where we're going to start after done, but you get up in the morning, you do something great, you set your intention for 10 minutes or you have a bit of a moment of gratitude. That's already great. You've already flicked the right switch, not the wrong switch. And then you go for a run or you do some stretching or you drink some water and that's even better. So if you front load the day or front load your business or front load your friendship or your relationship or front load your body with something that's great for you, then the rest of the day, it's a bit like living in LA and having all those pre-breakfast meetings, the rest of the day can be administration and bureaucracy to, to sort of, to sort of uh, varnish this, the beautiful thing that you've just created. And often you find that we are expending a lot of uh, the 100% of our energy on zero outcome. Mm. And so Preta's principle is all about that. It's 80-20 or it can be 99-1. And when you're exercising and, or you're gardening, it probably, if you see, exercising and training is different. So if you exercise, you're exercising. If you're training, you're training. 
via exercise for an event, which is mm -hmm. useful, isn't it? Because it, it gives you a sort of something to aim for. But if you are looking, for example, for um, the Blue Zones, Dambuna, so the, one of the number one uh, activities in the Blue Zone is to garden, because garden is movement, um, but it's, it's also community. But sometimes when you exercise, all you have left, it, the, from the moment you finish exercising, all that happens sometimes is guilt. Guilt by beginning to destroy the hour of exercise that you've just achieved by consuming or mm. by sitting down or by mm -hmm. doing something else. Whereas if you garden, you get the exercise and after the exercise, you also have a garden. Mm -hmm. So that's like that's like ninety nine one, right? Because you're it's it's giving you everything and costing you nothing other than your attention and your energy and your time. And you know what do they say? Energy grows where attention goes. And the better the attention that you focus on, the more it gives birth to more of that stuff, that magnetism of stuff that makes you want to not even want to be a better person, when you automatically start to be better. And when you cross that threshold of where things that were good for you became an effort and you didn't look forward to doing them even though you wanted the outcome, that moment when you miss a workout and you feel like you did before not wanting to do a workout, you have the regret mm. of not having worked out. You start to feel off when you don't work out sure. and you cross the threshold, you go, this is the other side of the fence that people talk about. You want to yeah. take the seat? No, yeah, I'm gonna get a, <laughs> let's go get a drink. <laughs> You're right. Uh, we like shouldn't have three people, so I'm going to leave, <laughs> no. and you can sit. Do you here. know? What? Can I actually go and watch the rest of it now? <laughs> you, can, you, can. you can. I would love you to can. do that. You would. You can. Well, we're going to take a quick ad break. Uh, I'm going anyway. I, can I just then... apologize to all fellow Roland fans? This was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that! He just drops like a wisdom bomb and then declares that it was a mistake. How is that I love possible? it, man. How um, how great to have the number one roll-on fan sitting with us. Unbelievable. And then leaving us I like without like a puff of smoke. Yes. It. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> if we were gonna have a third wheel, he is the guy to do oh, it. Oh God, yeah. I think yes. So let's take a quick break and we'll be back with more. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, 
I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful. And recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. We're back. We're leaving Chris's chair open in the event that he might want to return. We'll see. It's up to him. Can I just switch seats sometimes? Uh, just like hop, <laughs> I don't know. Just tell hop. Jason so he can make sure the mic is hot. No, you, no, oh. you cannot. Um, There's a lot of rules around here lately. Well, yeah, you <laughs> like Pareto's principle? <laughs> Pareto? Pareto. <laughs> like That's your dog. new rule, right? <laughs> Are you? Well, uh, it's, it's, it's the now called the Chris Evans rule for living. There you go. Yeah, that was a mic drop moment. Um, for the old school roll on hardcores, we're gonna do a little bit of news, share a little streaming recs, I yes. guess, right? Yeah, we're gonna yeah, keep it yeah. breezy, but we can't uh, not talk about Sean Conway breaking the Iron Cowboys record Amazing. for most consecutive Ironmans. This guy clocked off 105. Chris was just saying during the break that he, he came on twice, came on twice on, uh, on Chris's show, um, right before he broke the record or right after? The day, of. the day of, and then he kept going. What was interesting is obviously he wanted to do 102 because yep. then he would eclipse James's record. Yep. But then after that, it was like a day by day thing. He would wake up and decide whether he was gonna keep going yep. and he kept going. And then on the 105th day, he was sort of like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is the last time I'm gonna do it. But he knocked off 105 of them. This is a really interesting guy. He's from Zimbabwe. He lives in Wales. He started this thing off on April 10th. So again, an Ironman every single day, not missing a, not missing, no days off, 105 total. Um, also interesting is that after James set his record back in June of 2022, Sean started to, he, that was his first attempt at doing this. Mm. He was gonna try to break James's record. I, and I think he got like six in and he got injured and yep. had to call it off. And it was like, eh, hey, maybe not so easy, right? right? Like we talked about that. Uh, yeah. But, you know, to his credit, he 
basically healed up and got right back on the horse and went after it again. And he seemed to do it like these guys, I haven't met Sean. I mean, Chris knows Sean and I guess Sean's gonna be at Carfest, right? Which is cool. I'm gonna try to do a podcast with him in London. But just based on what I have intuited from following him on Instagram, he seems pretty chill. Like he doesn't have that same kind of iron cowboy super intensity. He's got little kids, seems like a super nice guy. He kind of got fit in the process of doing it. He has a before and after picture on Instagram right now where the image of him without a shirt on before he began, he just looked like a dude, right? He's all ripped up at the end of it. But right. uh, I don't know, there seems to be uh, a more laid back kind of attitude about doing did, this did he in have comparison a, a to team? James. Did he have a team like the same idea, like a Peloton for the cycle, for the bike and-, and uh, he, It and seemed like he did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Probably it didn't it didn't gain momentum like James where there were like thousands of people at the end, but I think he had a core cr crew of people who were showing up pretty much. It's an amazing accomplishment. Day day I out. think the reason James thing took off around here in the States, I think was because there were so many people just going there and doing their first Ironman with him and it became like a community event, yeah. you know, partly because he, he had to do the run slow and that made it more accessible. So it's almost like right. the injury that James had that forced him to do it a certain way. It'd be interesting to talk to It would be slow no matter what though. Like yeah, right, you're, right. You're, you're doing those marathons pretty slow if you're doing yeah. it 105 day. days yeah, in yeah. a row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, it, it opens itself up to kind of a community right. experience. Fair I think. enough, fair enough. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting him and, and learning more and, and hopefully sharing it uh, with all of you on the show. Very exciting. What else do you want to talk about? Are we gonna Are we gonna talk about? We're not gonna talk about the superconductor, are we? No, maybe not. Let's keep let's, it light. Let's keep, keep it light. You know, did you hear about Kristen Harilla? I know it's not on here, but the, she's the Norwegian climber that just uh, broke um, Nirmal Purja's record for getting no, to the top of this. all the eight thousand meter peaks in the shortest amount of time. I think it's just over three months. You know, uh, Nims did six months, which which took a record from seven years to like six months, and mm -hmm. then. Kristen was trying to do it last year and got stymied, couldn't get into Tibet. And so finally got the paperwork. So she still did all 14 of, or I think there's 14 of them. Yeah, 14 mm. um, of the 8,000 meter peaks, but she couldn't do them in the time. So she didn't get the record. And so she, she basically got her paperwork lined up and did her first one in Tibet. So got that done and then fired them all off. And wow. so she broke Nim's record. Um, she originally financed this attempt by selling her condo, I think it was, or her or her home in Norway. I talked to her once um, when I was doing the uh, Lakba Sherpa story, and I talked to her about how hard it is for female climbers, um, you know, mountaineers especially, to to make a living and to get sponsorship. And so she's a perfect example. You haven't really heard about this, even though it's big yeah. news in Norway. It didn't really hit. Part of the reason that's why we. Well, love this is why. Like maybe you would have read about this in the New York Times sports section. Yeah, I mean, she, in an article written exactly. by Adam Skolnick. There was an article about her when she was doing going for the record the first time, and then you know there was that story. And so I would have thought they'd do a follow up, but part of the reason they didn't is because it's kind of in flux mm -hmm. over there. Um, but yeah, exactly. So I just want to give her props because we've covered I've covered Nims before, and I just want to give Kristen props. Pretty amazing, and you can find her on Instagram and find all all about her. And uh, it, incredible accomplishment for Kristen. So congratulations to her again. And then, like we should also mention because in the past this was never mentioned. She wasn't alone. She had a whole team, and one member of her team, Tenjin Sherpa, was kind of her primary partner in crime on this a guide, helped fix the everything that she needed to be done 
right-hand man, they took every step together and they did L14 peaks together. So he also did it in 92 days. So it's not just Kristen's record now, it's Kristen mm. and Tenjin Sherpa's record. Dumb question, but how come they don't share the record then? How come it's her? I think they do. Because I think they do. That's where I misspoke. I think they do share it, you know, because it, but you know, I think they do. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, congrats. That's an amazing accomplishment. Yeah. Congrats to both. Are we going to do a little summer entertainment roundup? Let's do it. Let's keep it. Let's do a, a speed round. We'll keep it quick. Spe speed round. Um, off the top. Yep. We are in the middle of a strike right now. Oh. Writers Guild is striking. The Screen Actors Guild is striking. I know. Uh, are we allowed to recommend stuff? Uh, well, that's the thing. We, like, we support labor. Let's I just mean, say I, that. We support front. labor. Yeah. I'm sorry. I did do a, like an event for Netflix around Deepest Breath. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you some kind of like scab? I didn't. But I you didn't. recorded that. Also, like being in a documentary is not a SAG thing. That's you weren't appearing saying. as an actor. But like, you know, but the, you're with big, you're with big streamer. The, ca that's you. <laughs> the cast of Oppenheimer. You're in the pocket. <laughs> you're in the, you're a shill for, for big streaming. I'm very cheap. I'm, yeah. I come very cheap. Um, I did do an event like Netflix did a screening in LA and I did an event to support Laura McGann, the filmmaker. Um, and so, mm -hmm. yeah, I did that and I was on, and then Slate did a, a story about how like they felt like the critic felt manipulated by my deepest breath or something. And so then I was on Canadian public radio supporting it. So I have done two things now to support Netflix during the strike. And I have felt a little bit funny about that, I will say. Interesting. Yeah, yeah this is like a, is a weird like internal yeah. conflict in the Skolnick value set. Yes, but I also, as much as I support the strike and I support the actors and the writers, I mean, let's not make it out like they're coal miners, okay? Let's hey, not. Let's not. Now make it out you're like getting you're you're treading on thin ice right now, buddy. There's a lot of there's a lot of struggling talent there out are. there right there now. Is. There's good reason um, there for is. these strikes right now. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, there was a big meeting last week. I thought that perhaps some resolution was on the horizon, but it remains to be seen. In the middle, in you know, in or let me just say that again. Uh, in the meantime, yes, we support the writers, we support we the actors. I hope that they can find a way to resolve this quickly because we love our content. In the meantime, I think we can still celebrate the product of their labor without being hundred percent. I think a lot of a you lot know, it's of interesting are. though. Yeah. Sorry to step on your yeah, words, no. but um, you know, a lot of like actors won't do podcasts now. Well, right. they won't do podcasts to promote a certain movie or show, right? right? They won't do interviews, they won't do press junkets, they're not showing up at premieres. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens in podcast landia because there's a lot of celebrity driven shows out there that are reliant on booking you know, right. actors as their guests. Uh, and I think there's carve outs or cutouts. I think there's, a, there's something you know, kind of in between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law in terms of what they can and can't do. Like, if you're promoting a book, you can come on and do that as long as you're kind of talking about that, but you can't come on uh, any kind of press outlet to, to promote like a show or, or, or a movie. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's, so, it's, it's all in, in, uh, in flux, right? And you try to get like approval or something from the union. It is interesting to see like, and not only have, I think like broader view on the strike, I made my joke, but like it actually has, um, kind of kickstarted a wave of labor solidarity. And in the wake, there has been baristas that are being organized. The UPS almost went on strike and was averted at the last minute. Uh, the, uh, the LA city workers are now going on strike on Tuesday. The airport's gonna be all but shut down. 
you know, like the hotel workers here in LA and in San Francisco, they're striking all over the place. Uh, I think, I forget how many tens of thousands of workers are striking because they can't get a fair wage and a living wage. That was the crux of my joke. Mm. But really in reality, the writers were first kind of on this it's front line. So it's interesting to see writers take the lead in labor. <laughs> Just think that's, as a writer, yeah, I find that hilarious. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we're gonna turn into France. <laughs> yeah, as a result. But I mean, that's a that's kind of an unexpected outcome of this, of of like really kind of kickstarting labor, and I think that's good because we have this society that's cleaving, the haves and the have-nots, and it's important to like labor was the reason that when we first had this problem in the beginning of industrialization, it was unions that solved the problem yeah. and created the middle class. So mm. yeah, yeah. Um, what an intro into streaming recommendations. Oh, by the way, watch The Bear. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. Uh, the Bear is back. Not exactly a newsflash. It's been out for a while, right. but you know, longtime listeners of Roll On know how much we love The Bear. Uh, season two uh, was released recently. I will admit after the first, I don't know, two episodes of season two, I was like, hmm, I don't know, man. I don't know if they've, they're gonna be able to keep this thing at the level uh, that I had come to you know expect after season one, and then it just kicked into a new gear mm. and went insane. And I think that that show, uh, this show, The Bear, is one of the finest television shows ever made. Like season two of The Bear is just off the rails. Good, mm. I loved it. I love it too. I I, I preferred the first season just because it was so fresh and so interesting, and it felt felt like so vital. Um, and this, there's episodes. This season two is great, so I'm mm. not, I'm not meaning to disparage it, but like I still, I think prefer as a piece of work season one. But I think I'm always that guy that likes that. I liked Atlanta season one. I, I kind of like the first iteration because it's the purest kind of distillation. But I will say, fishes. I watched it again last night. Yeah. In preparation, because we might talk about it. And it's like shades of Goodfellas good. I mean, it is on a level of production and and in every facet, art direction, uh, obviously the dialogue and the script, the acting, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, is this the year of Jamie Lee Curtis? Yeah, she's off the rails. I yeah. mean, this is a tour de force episode. I think it's episode six. Yeah, I think season six or two. seven. It's yeah. called Fishes. Yeah. Yeah. Are we doing spoilers or not? It's been out a long time. Yeah. I, 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 we don't have to say everything, but like, go ahead, speak your mind. I mean, I'm not gonna go out of my way to spoil anything, but yeah. um, if you're, if you don't want anything to be spoiled, maybe fast forward through this part. Um, Fishes is basically a, a, a an episode that focuses on Christmas dinner and all kinds of characters come together and it's just insanity ensues. Yeah. Like it's just chaos on a, on a whole new level of what you thought was possible um, rendered on film. It's hilarious, it's poignant, it's heartbreaking. And Jamie Lee Curtis plays the matriarch matriarch of the Berzados, and she's the matriarch of insanity. Yeah, her performance is 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 really something to behold. It requires a couple of viewings to really understand what's going on. Every character plays this very unique role, uh, and I think anybody who has any kind of challenging extended family situation, who knows what it's like to go home into a perilous uh, holiday dinner event will find some way to relate to one of the characters. Yeah, yeah. Because they're yeah. all archetypes in their own right. Well, also like if you've ever had a mom that has thrown a dinner party and it was their idea, and then like is losing their mind as they put together this amazing thing and is like, is, is wondering why no one's helping and all that. 
that's this is like that 10x like this is the right crux. it's not yeah. it's yeah it's at yeah. it's at 11 yeah. the yeah. whole thing yeah. but the i yeah the person who's like leave me alone you know i'm going to deliver this meal because you know love is correlated closely with these you know what i what i what you're going to be eating and like so there's so much intensity mm-hmm. going into that mm-hmm. um while also saying, why isn't anyone helping me? Yes, like, yes. it's like, come here, I need help. No, go away, leave me alone. Like, yes. just to, you know, like, let's just say I know few people like this. Yes. <laughs> you know my mom I mean? used to get uptight at so, the end of these things. And I'd be like, I'd be like, I think to myself, my mom probably gonna listen to this. I, I, I think I think to myself, well, this was your idea. Like this, this whole- Right, no one asked you to do this. this yeah, party was your idea. I know, I know. <laughs> so, you know, I, I've had, many versions of this dinner that are probably at a six or maybe yeah. a six and a half. And yeah. this is at an 11. It's just amazing. And it's, just, it's a murderer's row of talent. Oh like the, the co-stars that show up in this episode, you got Bob Odenkirk, John Bernthal, who's just electric, Sarah Paulson, the cool cousin who got out, who comes back to let everyone know that there is an exit out of this, you know, so this this uh, insane asylum, um, and then low key John Mulaney just like stealing Amazing. the entire episode with his you know deadpan humor. I just, I, I mean, it's extraordinary. I thought it's the best thing I've seen him in. Like it's the most fun. I mean, I obviously he's a great talent, but like, well, he's like, never has he ever even had the opportunity to do not. something like no, that maybe before. Not. Like it, that's what I mean. Like, and it's so period, and like the art is so good and everything speaks to a moment and it speaks to the pathos that you understand why Carmi is Carmi. You understand Mm -hmm. why uh, Richie is Richie. You see it all kind of happen. It's like, it speaks to everything you've been wondering about these people. That's what's so, it's so It's the origin story for all of these characters. And, you know, Julie hadn't watched The Bear. So after I finished season two, we, I went back and started from the beginning of season one. And you see from the very first episode, everything is established. The 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 drawing of the bear restaurant is like on the wall that mm. Bernthal, you know, like mm. the exchange with Bernthal mm. in in uh, in fishes, and you know the the clock motif like that gets hammered home with Jamie Lee Curtis and the you know the alarm that's constantly going off and the attention to like the ticking clock and the pressure cooker of what it's like to be in a kitchen to prepare a meal like all those seeds are planted in the early episodes of season one. And then when you get to fishes, you're like, oh, you yeah. see it all like played it's out. It's beautiful. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it is beautiful and, 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 and like, like a bomb going off. Like, right. it's like, it's amazing. I, I, and I agree with you, like John Bernthal, like, I mean, come on, like, why isn't he in everything? Unbelievable. Like, he's unbelievable. He's um, in, he increasingly is in everything. Yes, yeah, there's yeah. a reason. <laughs> yeah. But like, I mean, incredible, uh, the emotion that these actors go through. And, you, and I just wanted to say, one thing about what I think is interesting about this show, and I'm not like a film school guy and I'm not that well-versed in structure uh, in terms of, of, of production, but I w- I've noticed a couple of things, uh, two different shows, but the HBO show, it's uh, Euphoria, mm-hmm. has this thing where it's like reality at 120%. And because of that, it's so original and no one really else is doing that. Like reality at 120, 125% is so intense and you feel that as a viewer. I don't particularly with that show, enjoy the experience of watching it, but I could see why people are just captivated by it because it's so original. And in this show, obviously they're not the first people to do it. The creator is not the first person to do it, but I feel like when I'm watching it, the actors know to step on each other's lines. And so I don't know how it's written on the page, 
but they're they're on purpose not listening, not waiting for the other actor to finish. And that gives it such a, even though it's unnatural, like if you ask them to do it, they're probably their first chance. They'd wanna give everyone space to say their lines and they'd wanna listen and that's how you think about it. But in reality, people are just, it's messy, especially in an environment like mm -hmm. that. That episode, it's, it's throughout the show, but that episode really shows it and it creates this speed and, and organic feel and power. And I just think it's really interesting because you don't see it in a, lot of, in a lot of shows. And I think that's one of the hidden secrets to this show. But it's authentic to the dynamic of this family. 100%, 100%. It's yeah. not like an artificial no, no, no. technique. It's yeah. just like, this is how these people communicate. Yeah, right, right, you know, right. No one's listening to anybody. Everybody's kind of set in their way. They're all shouting at each other. Right. You know, it's, it's bananas. Um, how do you feel about the facts? Wait. The facts. <laughs> Come on. I love the facts. Come on. The baseball cards? Yeah. Well, yeah. Maddie Matheson, who plays one of the facts, the yeah. main facts guy. The main facts. He's in truth a uh like a Toronto chef, like a celebrated Toronto chef. He's not an actor. I think he Is did he some the stuff guy with that was Vice. in it was he you know, the, the heavy set yeah, guy yeah, yeah. with the tattoo, he's all yeah, the tattoos yeah, yeah, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. I love him. He's not really an actor. He's, and I guess the guy who played the now. other fact, that was his first time acting. He was he was a crew member. I don't know what he did really? on the crew or whatever. Um, they're great yeah. together. They're but absolutely I love, great I love together. They're hitting up Mulaney for like 500 bucks for their baseball card thing. And they're like, do you have $500? And he's like, yes, I have $500. I'm a 43 year old man. It's like incredible stuff. It's amazing. Uh, but I will say as, as wild as Fishes was, the following episode Forks is definitely my favorite mm. um, in the whole series. Uh, this is the episode where Richie goes to stage at a um, at a you know fancy restaurant, and he goes on this arc. And that character, played by Evan Moss uh, Bacharach, is just I mean that guy is lord. Mm. Like that, his performance in that episode, and you know the kind of um, realization that he has and his ability to understand that his gift is service, and it comes through. The messenger in that is the guy who got sober, mm. who says, I'm here to serve and I'm grateful to be here. Like, and he conveys to Richie um, how his life had changed as a result of sobriety. And Richie is in a place where he's able to hear that and understand that he too uh, has that thing that makes him come alive. Mm. And that light bulb moment for him changes everything when he returns to the bear and is able to participate in that community on a whole nother level than he could have previously. And I just thought there was so much heart and beauty in that episode. Like that's the one that as, as exciting as Fishes is, the episode that follows is the one that really um, has stayed with me. Yeah, so one is like a rock and roll concert in the seventies or like a wild funk party. And the other one is like an ambient kind of like experience because it, I think, is that the same one that they're in uh, Copenhagen? Does it go back and forth between Copenhagen or is that just a different, I think I'm mixing two. Um, yeah, it's been yeah. like a couple months since Forget. I watched it. Well, there was, the the pastry chef guy who yeah. goes to Copenhagen. Maybe that's a different. Yeah, that's a episode. different episode. Okay, but this one too, it feels a lot more. It's more ambient. It's like it's not like as kinetic. You no, feel that it's all but internal. You can't maintain that level of right. intensity every episode. So I think going into season two, they realize like, hey, we gotta let this thing breathe a little bit. I agree. Like, I agree. You know, I, that I, it, we we can choose our moments. We can have our fishes, but what are we doing in between? And that's the real 
heart and connective tissue that makes it all come together. And it's like a it's like a recipe in the kitchen, yeah. like how they're baking all these episodes to create this you know this extraordinary dish. Yes, um, that I think is very thoughtful and intentional in, yeah. in how they. Hundred percent. It. It's like it shows the range of the creative power and this team that put it together because the fact that it's all compelling, but they're all delivered so differently. Usually, there's a flavor. You know, this one it can go any different way. Yeah, and I, I don't know that I've ever seen another television show where from the jump from the get go i'm immediately so invested in these characters and 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 emotionally connected to them mm. that's like a magic trick yeah. so christopher storer who created christopher the show Storer. has done an extraordinary job with this series i can't wait to see what what happens in season 3 and richie's and richie's uh kind of big moment at the end of forks there's a great cameo mm, yeah we won't spoil no, that no fantastic yeah. one scene I mean, they're great together. Yeah, incredible, yeah, yeah. incredible stuff. Yeah. Um, is there anything that needs to be said about Barbenheimer? Yes. Or has it all been written and said, Adam? Well, did you read about Nolan's reported deal? No. It, he gets 20% of first gross. Mm. <laughs> That's quite a deal he yeah. made for himself. Uh, I think Oppenheimer's at 500 million, Barbie's at 1 billion. Collectively, Nolan and Gerwig have saved the, the in-theater movie experience, the relevancy of movies. Do we feel bad for Tom Cruise? No, you can't feel bad for yeah. Tom Cruise. He's but had I a pretty good he's life. In the, he's in the background, like mm. gnashing his teeth, wondering how come he's not the lead story. If he is, then I do feel bad for him. I bet he is. He's, I so, bet he's, he's, no, so, he's so goddamn competitive, that guy. No way, he's like right well, now. Well, I know he was pissed about the IMAX windowing because he wanted oh. Mission Impossible to have, have kind of purview with the IMAX theaters. Um, and that went to, Oppenheimer and Mission Impossible was amazing. But then once it was the Barbenheimer thing, like it was almost like we forgot that Mission yeah. Impossible happened and this guy rode his motorcycle off a mountain. Yeah, he's probably off base jumping so, somewhere. So I'm not sure he's paying attention to know. us, but I will say this, I'm on his team when it comes to- You don't to, think he's listening, Adam? No, <laughs> I, 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 it, when it comes to why is Oppenheimer on IMAX, I'm hundred percent with Tom Cruise. Like I just, I watched it. I'm not saying it's not a good movie. I am uh -oh. wondering why- Here comes the hot take. I am wondering why a movie that is centered around business meetings is on IMAX. <laughs> I just don't understand it. Like I legit, I mean, the one visual was great. I'm, I legit don't understand why it had to be on IMAX. I respectfully disagree. <laughs> I was at the very first screening of Oppenheimer at the Chinese theater Thursday at five o'clock. I was in like the fourth row at the- IMAX 70 millimeter experience. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, if you are at the very first screening of Oppenheimer at the Chinese theater at the IMAX 70 millimeter experience, this is a theater full of nerds. Like this is the <laughs> ultimate film nerd audience come to life, Yes. right? And I could not have been happier or more thrilled to be there. Uh, uh, Tyler and Trapper uh, bought tickets for, this was like the Father's Day gift. So oh, I, I nice. cut out of the studio early to make it over there to do. And it's like, you're sitting down and everyone's, well, I'm gonna watch it in 70 millimeter, but then tomorrow I'm gonna go see it at the other theater so I can compare it, you know, like every wow. film nerd talk, wow, big that's, time. That's big time, like, that's big time. But I can tell you that the tallness of the IMAX screen really changes the experience. And I think this film is a masterpiece and I will never forget the experience of being in that theater to see it for the very first time. So I disagree with you. Okay. I think it's a tour de force of a movie. Okay. Um, and I think it deserves to be seen in that format.
And yes, there are a lot of white men talking in rooms. Uh, a lot of meetings. But who else could make that utterly riveting other than Christopher Nolan? I mean, he created a thriller out of like men having conversations. A lot of meetings. There's the Trinity test. That's exciting. Yeah, that's great. But, you know, I like that part. Yes, I think- uh, Killian just looks at you. He, he's like, there's a lot of Killian looking at the camera. Well, he's, I mean, he, I mean, that performance. Okay. He's I, in a whole, he's at a whole other level People are now. gonna think that I'm just bad mouthing it. I'm not going to. Robert Downey Jr. is amazing. Uh, I think Emily Blunt is fantastic. You'll see them both get nominated. I think obviously Killian's gonna get nominated. Um, I thought, I, I love Matt Damon and everything he's in. So this is not me not liking it. I'm just gonna say there was snoring in my theater. As many as nerds as were in your wow. theater, there was, there was audible snoring in my theater. For the last hour? Just the controversial periodic, last periodic hour. <laughs> Interesting. As you might expect in yeah. a long meeting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh yeah. I did that was not my experience. No. Um I loved everything about it. Uh, yes. I thought it was interesting. There's just unreal performances. The filmmaking is extraordinary. It gives us the meme we didn't know that we needed, that that image of Benny Safdie uh, lathering himself with sunscreen and putting on the goggles. That was very funny. It's uh, yeah, yeah, the ultimate meme that you could throw up on the internet uh, when you're, you know, you know that, that yeah. trope of like, there's drama happening, I'm gonna grab my popcorn. Yeah. This is now uh, market corrected that. Yes. You can just put that image of Benny Safdie there. Like I'm getting ready to see the thing. Yeah. And then Einstein, I loved him. Whoever played him, mean, that was great. And, and uh, but one thing I didn't like that I wish was in it was, and it's hard to say, I wish something more was in a three hour movie, but uh, like the uranium came from Australia and had to be come through on ships through the Pacific theater. Like to me, that's interesting. I would have liked to see like how that happened. You know, like you have to travel through the Pacific theater from Australia in the middle of the war to beat the Nazis. I just felt like story-wise, there could have been ways to up the action and reduce the meetings. That's all. Well, it was a, it was a lens into the mind of one man, right? right, right? right. Like, you know, Oppenheimer wasn't even in charge of the whole Manhattan project. Right. He was just in charge of Los Alamos. Right. So it was, a portrait of a tortured genius through the lens of Christopher Nolan, who perhaps he considers himself uh, a tortured genius uh, with the message of like, shouldn't we just leave geniuses alone and let them be geniuses, right? Yes, There's true. a little bit of that. That's true. <laughs> How much of that is autobiographical? I don't know, but I, I think know. Nolan is very interesting yes. because he, you know, he, he lives a true, artist life. Like he doesn't have a cell phone. He doesn't even have an email address. You can't email the guy. But do you believe he doesn't have you, a cell phone? How's he listening I, to music? I know, well, he has, I'm sure he has a phalanx of assistants. Okay. Right. But he goes out of his way to not be influenced yes. by the cacophony of culture and society and distraction. And I think there's something incredibly courageous and laudable about that in yeah. 2023, that he can be a guy without an email address who has his production. I think he bought the home next door to where he lives and that's his production office. He works with his wife um, and everything that he does is about creating credibility so that he can create outside the influence of the studio system. Obviously he's partners you know, with the studio system to make his movies, but by delivering extraordinary movies under budget and on time, he has a lot more freedom also due to the extraordinary success of his movies to kind of not be bothered 
by stuff that other filmmakers would be bothered. And I think that that is a very intentional career move that he's you know, doubled down on time and time again over the course of his career so that he can make these kinds of movies. And I think there's something really instructive about that lifestyle choice um, that in 2023 feels very anachronistic, Yes, but I think is also extremely wise and, and certainly crucial to his success. If you can do it, it's, it's I think there is something yeah. to be said about being off the main and having an artistic view and an objective view of how things are going, especially as a storyteller. I will say, you can't not respect him. Obviously I have a great, a, mm-hmm. a great amount of respect for him, great amount of respect for Greta Gerwig and what they've done. But um, I will say, I don't believe everything a filmmaker, a, a guy whose whole point is to create an illusion. I don't believe everything they say about how they live their life when they're doing press for their movie. Oh, he's so a, like, he I creates mean, myths. So can, the myth of Christopher Nolan. Right. Yeah, right. I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, we won't know. We could test that, uh, which brings me I'm to a few- I'm email him right now I have, back I've extracted a few insights I wanted to share from this movie Let's before go. we move on. And, and one, of, one of them is related to what you just said, which is there is the theory of how uh, Christopher Nolan lives his life, but what is the practice, right? Mm. And this is the message of the movie, is it not, Adam? Theory can only take you so far. Indeed. Right? You have to put theory into action. Uh, next, I also mentioned this one a minute ago. We should leave geniuses alone to be geniuses. This is the message of the right. movie. <laughs> right? Then why do you keep emailing me and texting me? <laughs> I, I got to stop bothering you, <laughs> right? I I needed to see this movie twice in order to really grok that, Adam. Um, also, being a lefty does not work well with the military industrial complex, <laughs> especially yeah. as as far lefty as he was. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, don't mock powerful people in public hearings. It always comes back to bite mm. you later. Mm. Maybe you were asleep during that part. No, I stayed awake. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I got to see, I wanted to see, uh, you know, um, I got to see who else was in it. Um, Remy. Oh, Remy Malik. Yes. Yeah, coming in for that one scene at the end. I, I found him to be distracting with his weird eyeball stuff. <laughs> you know, there's something <laughs> very strange about that guy. Uh, he crushed that one speech, but Amazing. in the scene earlier where he, the first he, kind scene, of, where so he drops good. the clipboard, I yeah. was like, I, it took me out of the movie. Bad, I will give you that. Bad first scene, great second um, scene. How about this one? No matter what you think of the movie, Adam, yeah. we all know if you know anything about Oppenheimer that at some point he's got to drop the line, now I have become death destroyer of worlds, right? Yes. This is what, if you don't know anything about Oppenheimer, that might be the one thing you know, like this yes. is how he thought of what he had wrought on the world. Well, he, But you're thinking going into the movie, where is this gonna happen? Right. When is he gonna say it? Who's he gonna say it to? Here's the creative choice. Let's do it while Florence Pugh is straddling him naked. Yes. And he utters the line. Now that my friend is a strong creative reading, choice. Reading Sanskrit yes, and, yes. and that is a bold, making love choice yes. to make as a filmmaker. He was a real bohemian. Yeah. Well, he was a ladies man, yeah. my next point, right? Who knew, who knew? Certainly not me. Those baby blues. I'm not sure that she, yeah, right, who knew? He was, yeah. he was, he seems like he would sleep with anybody's wife that was at the dinner party. There was a lot of that, <laughs> I know, I know. And and where did it get him, Adam? <laughs> it got him married to Emily Blunt. <laughs> That's true. Uh, you know, the, the, well, that's all, the big, all of these relationships were fraught. Well, that's the biggest critique, public critique of the movie is you don't actually, even though you know that it affects him deeply and he feels like in some ways he's failed as a human being, you don't actually see the damage. And that was intentional. And Christopher Nolan has spoken about that, but that is something I'm still hearing about mm-hmm. online. Yeah, 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 yeah for yeah. sure. Yeah. Also not notable for 
writing strong female characters. Nolan? Yeah. Really, is that right? Yeah. I thought Blunt was fabulous. She was good, but yeah. they, they could have given her a little bit more to do, but it was yeah. nice to see her stand up. But, but her job was secondary in her support of him, of course. Right, I mean, of course. It's his story. And that also uh, speaks to the time a little bit too. My final thing, and this bugs me more than anything, is that Nolan needs a new sound mixer. I yeah. don't know about you, but I find 70% of the dialogue inaudible in his movies. I had the same problem with Tenet. At first I thought it was the theater or maybe sitting too close to the screen. But after a second viewing, I found it to be the same. There's a certain muffledness with the right. dialogue right. and his movies are so complex and you need to really hear every single thing that everyone's saying just to not get passed by. So you can be locked into the progression of the story. And he adds this extra layer of difficulty on top of it by making it difficult to understand what they're saying. Yeah. I thought maybe I was just getting old, but this is a thing. Like I noticed it in Tenet, I did some research on it. Like a lot of people have been commenting on this. So I don't know why he does that, but maybe don't do it next time. Yeah, don't do it. And But I, I, I love the movie. The good news though, he didn't make Meg 2. So you'll be able to hear everything that happens in Meg yes. 2 real clear. The dialogue will be very audible <laughs> in that movie, I'm sure. All right, we just did a movie podcast. We're it's done. Good. We're not We're gonna done. talk about any of this other stuff. All Let's right. do some listener questions. Let's do it. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend, Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries, all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. Wait, are we rolling? All right, let me just let's, let me just because I do want to make a point. So you had mentioned that Christopher Nolan makes twenty percent of gross off the top, which I, means that I've read well, it. Well, that Who assuming knows? that's true, he's already made north of a hundred million dollars. Yes. So the question is, will he deploy that one hundred million dollars to buy a cell phone? 
possibly, maybe not. We don't know. <laughs> Probably You're not. You're so cynical. It, it, it's you don't, but you believe he has a cell phone and he's lying the whole time. No, I believe- But he okay. has created the myth of Christopher Nolan. I'm saying there's but a I possible. Say, okay, possible, yeah. But I will say, our friend Chris Evans over here, didn't have a cell phone for a long time. Also, emails under an alias. And he, <laughs> I, think, I think maybe the first time you emailed me under an alias, you said, well, this is actually me, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and then subsequently you emailed me, but I'd forgotten the name that you were using or whatever. And I didn't know who this person was and you were trying to communicate. Do you, what happened? Yeah. And I just blew it off. Yeah. Come here and tell that story. Chris Evans, everybody. He's back. See how I pulled him back in? Christopher, no phone. You don't believe him. Here's, here's the thing. <laughs> when you, when <laughs> if, if, for me to believe that you're so analog that you're off the beat, you don't tell me you don't have an email address. What you say is, I have only have an AOL email address. If you say I only have an AOL email address, then you're like someone's grandpa and you're really analog because you're really off the beat. But if you just say, I don't have an email address, that could be some bullshit. So they say, Rich will know this, if you spot it, you got it. Yeah, where's that from? I don't know, from you. Shakespeare. From the rooms, sometimes okay. people say that. Oh, the that. Yeah. yeah. So you say some people come in here and they want you to think one thing about them or another thing about them. If you spot it, you got it, Adam. <laughs> right. Well, they, yeah, me. I mean, basically- I'm so, I'm so open. Yeah. That is uh, totally not me at all. Another way of saying it, that is you can't transmit something you haven't got, right? So if somebody is authentically sharing from their heart, you can, you know, right? Yeah. And if they're, yes. they're, if they're bullshitting you, if your radar is even slightly attuned, you can tell. That's all I'm saying. And so I, I, my point is that I don't think most directors in a publicity scenario, this is not speaking about him personally, are gonna be, are gonna be able to be revealing like that because they want, especially a guy who wants to keep his kind of creative potion going, he would have an, uh, a motivation to not. But if you're like just some writer guy on a podcast, I'm not faking it. So you think one of the most creative geniuses of our time, yeah? Yeah. Has had to come up with this ruse of not having a phone to promote his amazing <laughs> film. Yes, thank you. Okay. Thank you okay. for I'm concisely making the point that I was struggling to pin him down on. I retract. Another mic drop. I retract. Another I retract. mic drop, you just walked off again. I retract. Yeah. I retract. <laughs> retract. Well Retracted. done, good sir. Wait, where are you going? Aren't you gonna be here? Yeah. No. Um, I like how he dodged his own uh, email alias question. Yeah. Also. I still don't pay my own phone bill. You don't? No. Yeah, that's like a, uh, that's a rich man, poor man thing. Either you're so poor, you don't pay it, or you're so rich, someone else pays it. No, there's a guy that we all know who was insistent that I had a phone, and I said, I'm not gonna get one, so he got me one, and he still pays the bill. <laughs> Maybe you can be that guy for Christopher Nolan, Adam. Christopher, if you're listening, and I know you are. You'll, you'll pay his cell phone bill for him. I got your cell phone bill. And I'm sorry I said that thing about the snoring people. It's their fault. Something they were going through. Mm -hmm. I liked it. I was there for the experience. I'm just saying it, there was a few too many meetings, maybe. And there was, you know. Now you're coming off weak with that back pedal. <laughs> like hold your, either, you know, hold your ground. <laughs> you know what I mean. All right, let's move on. All right. Question. This is from Matthew, who's calling all the way in from South Korea. Hi, this is Matthew uh, calling from South Korea. Uh, I just finished my 18th year of teaching as a middle and high school math teacher. Uh, I've taught in public and private schools in the United States and private international schools in Mexico and South Korea. 
As a teacher, I value teaching students to think, problem solve, understand why things work, and solving non-routine problems, while also items such as value in mental health, being good people, grit, and empathy. I have three education-related questions. Feel free to answer whichever you like, but I'm asking them in order of importance to me. My first question, leaving it fairly open-ended, what are your thoughts on secondary education system in the U.S.? It could be the status of American education, or what do you think are important skills or challenges that teachers and students should focus on? Second question, if you were giving a commencement speech, what would your message be? And third question, how would you apply James Clear's 1% rule for teachers that want to continue to improve their craft or potentially find new positions in education-related careers that may demand additional skills such as leadership that are typically absent from a day-to-day job for a teacher? Thank you. Wow, a three-parter from Matthew in South Korea. Uh, I I think I'll tackle the first two parts. The third part, I'm not sure I have uh, a worthy answer to. Maybe maybe you do, um, Adam. But what Clear's one percent rule is? You know, I think there's a lot to be said about secondary education, at least in the United States, uh, as an outdated model that was shaped by the needs of uh, the emerging. Uh, capitalist trend that we've been on. Basically what happened was the industrial revolution. And when that happened and gained momentum, industrialists required skilled and disciplined workers to, they needed a continual supply of these people to meet the demands of their growing industries. And the education system was like its feeder program. And it was really developed out of a need, a desire to cater to those industrialists by emphasizing or creating a curriculum that would create good workers, you know, workers who could be punctual, obedient, efficient. Um, And so the whole infrastructure of secondary education was oriented around, you know, teaching people what they needed to know in order to be good factory workers essentially. And here we are in 2023, have we really changed this system? Not really. Right, we're all walking around, I've said this before, with supercomputers in our pocket that can answer any fact-based question that you could possibly have. We now have all of these incredibly powerful LLMs that you know, take that even a step further, what the world is gonna look like in three to five years, who knows? But certainly those tools are gonna get refined and enhanced, which begs the question of what are we doing in the classroom, right? Should we? be teaching people in a way where we're prioritizing the memorization of facts and the answering of rote questions that these computers can do for us. I think that the emphasis should be shifted to focus on some of the things that he is already seems to be teaching in his classroom, maybe because he's in South Korea and not in the United States where mm-hmm. um, he would be much more restricted in what his curriculum looks like. But you know, I really think that education needs to evolve beyond the fact-based memorization paradigm that we've had for too many decades and needs to focus on how about developing self-esteem? How about teaching leadership? How about helping young people learn how to tap into their creative voice and express themselves. How about team building? How do you build a team? How do you work within a team? How do you problem solve as an individual, but also as a member of a team, as a leader, or as uh, just a, a member of a larger team? Like when you go out into the world, What's going to distinguish you from an AI or, you know, uh, you know something that that um, could supplant you in the workforce? It's your creativity. It's your ability to look at a problem and solve it with a perspective that is fresh and new. And you know, I think 
It's your ability to work with other people, um, to understand how to respect uh, other people as well in the workforce and with a level of self-esteem that is going to empower you to tackle difficult things and learn and grow in all the various ways that we need you to. Mm. You know, So I don't know, it seems pretty evident to me. I don't know that I'm seeing a lot of that and it doesn't seem to be a lot of evolution in the secondary educational system. Uh, and you have a young person who's I do. coming We're up not there into yet. that. We're not so, there yet. Although he did take a Polaroid selfie when we weren't looking yesterday and it looks like I could see his teen self, his disaffected uh, teen self in this too close Polaroid <laughs> of my cute little the three-year-old. Navel gazing, uh, you know, sort <laughs> oh of, yeah, like shut up dad. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I can start to see him happening. Um, I think what you're saying is well said, you know, how do you get there from here? I don't even really know. I couldn't answer because I don't know the status of current secondary education because I don't have a, a child that's there. And it's been a while for me. Um, you, you know, are shepherding people through school and like two, you, you had two that just kind of one that just went through it and one that is going through it. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah, so you, sure. so you, you have a perfect lens on this. I will say that one thing I don't like is the politiciz politi politicization, politicization, politis politicization. You know, when we get older, it gets harder to say words like that. Of everything. Yeah. And the fact that now parents are like having fights at school board meetings is appalling. And so that we had that in Temecula, we had that in Glendale here just in Southern California. And these fights are going, whatever the reason, I don't really care what the reason is. It's like, it shows me that Anytime you give teachers latitude, it's going to be fought at some point on either side. And that's a problem, right? So for me, it's like, my thing is teachers should be paid more. They should be given more autonomy. We should take the emphasis off standardized testing, but we can't have the hegemony of the mob kind of dictate what is taught at a particular community. So all of those things are very complex and there's people who know a lot more about them than me, but that's what concerns me about secondary education from someone who hasn't been in the teeth of it for a while. Yeah, so yeah. so you're not into banning books. No, I think all books should be available <laughs> at all times. Yeah, All books. I mean, I know, think like, the yeah. system is set up to create people who are really good at taking tests. Right. That's what it rewards. It doesn't reward creativity or thinking outside the box. And I think those are skills that are becoming more and more valuable. And, and that needs to get priced in to this whole system. I don't know how you do that. I don't well, know the answer to that. I mean, that, let, let's, let's keep it real. Like for so long, our public education system was basically built on the fact that there was a glass ceiling in place and women couldn't really get high paying jobs in the corporate world. And so the place that high powered, really intelligent women could do well was as teachers in schools. And so that happened for generations. So that's why, you know, my mother was a teacher in school. She's like a brilliant woman. And so, and there's a lot of teachers that are still brilliant now. This is not shitting on teachers, but what I'm saying is there was a built-in kind of funnel of, of talent to schools that now it, there isn't because they, they could they have other choices. Yeah. And so, you know, we have to pay teachers more. I, I think, you know, given the, the condition of cities, we have to pay police officers. We have to pay people more so you get talent that is a top talent so you can compete really and get people that can help us move in that direction. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, you can pay you could pay teachers a lot more and obviously a great teacher can make a huge difference. But if they're stuck within the confines of a system that doesn't allow them to have any flexibility with the curriculum or the manner in which they teach, 
that's only going to go so far. Agreed. So it's a systemic yeah. problem as much as anything else. Agreed. And then, you know, to the second question of the commencement speech, I just jotted down a couple thoughts. Um, you know, uh, on that note, I mean, I think in terms of ideas that I like to communicate to young people, first and foremost is to invest in your own creativity and not get caught up in the confined structures of the system that is trying to push you in a certain direction. Go to this school, go to that school, get this kind of job. You know, people who are very good at school, who are very good at taking tests, tend to also be rule followers and they become very good at figuring out how to be upwardly mobile in that situation. I was one of those people. It was only in later years that I realized like, why was I doing any of this? Because I hadn't paused to reflect upon what it was that I wanted to do or who I wanted to be. So I'm always impressing upon young people to engage with that process earlier in life than I did. And sometimes it's difficult because you are in a system that's telling you, this is what's important, getting a good grade on this test or interviewing for this job. And it takes courage and a presence of mind to kind of pause for a moment and say, okay, yes, but also I need to do this for myself long-term. So I think that's important. Uh, and that will help you entertain opportunities that are outside of your comfort zone. And those experiences while you face obstacles and fail and fall on your face and have these experiences over time will help you discover who you are and what's important to you. Um, and in the meantime, I think it's important for young people to consciously give their energy to things that really light them up and excite them, irrespective of whatever external forces are telling you you should or you shouldn't do. Like if something really means something to you and gets you excited and gives you energy when you get out of bed, that's something that you should fertilize and cultivate in your own life. It doesn't mean it has to be a job, but I think there's something in that that's communicating to you who you are and it's important to give your attention to that. And sometimes that means breaking free of the expectations of other people. And those social strictures can be suffocating and very difficult to escape from. Uh, and I think developing an awareness around that and the extent to which those externalities are controlling your decision-making or unduly influencing the decisions you're making about what you're gonna do with your life uh, are, are really important to consider. I also, on a conservative note, think that it's important to learn discipline and the value of hard work and the value of a dollar. Like there is a certain entitlement with, uh, you know, some aspects of the younger generation where they think they should just waltz in somewhere and get a high paid job and get to do what they wanna do and work from home and, and, and you know, basically go on expensive vacations whenever they feel like it. And, you know, it's just not reality. So I think there's, disabusing people of that notion and getting them connected to uh, the idea that if you wanna do something, no matter what it is, it's going to be difficult. And, you know, kind of acclimating yourself to that earlier in life, I think is important as well. So experience life, say yes to adventure, accumulate experiences, and along the way, figure out you and then commit to being the best version of that authentic you. That is your mission. I love that. Boom, well said. Part three, I got nothing to say. Oh, 
I'm I was waiting for you to go on. No, I got nothing. I, I don't know what the one. He's been a teacher is. for 18 years. What can I tell this guy? Yeah, why are we know. giving you teaching yeah, advice? I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's like, you should give us. Like, how do we fix it? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> What's I happening know. in Korea? I don't, I don't um, know. No, I appreciated that question. That was good. Anytime we could talk about the education system, I think is important. Um, and uh, let's move on to the next one. This is also a Korean uh, transmission. Hey, Richard and Adam. Uh, my name is Zach. I'm 22 years old. Uh, I'm originally from Bethesda, Maryland, and right now I'm in the Army and I'm living in Korea. So my question was, how do you navigate pursuing challenges and embracing obstacles from a state of completion uh, and, you know, feeling like you're enough? So for a bit of context here, I've been really into Eastern philosophy lately, so I've been reading a lot of Alan Watts and practicing mindfulness meditation. But at the same time, sometimes it feels like the more I consume Eastern philosophy, while it encourages, you know, a state of calm and clarity, it also seems to reduce ambition a little bit, along with, you know, my desire to, like, do hard things. So I was just curious how you guys approach this divide and, you know, these different states of being. And, um, yeah, th thank you guys for all the great work you do on the podcast. I'm a big fan. Thanks. How about Zach dropping in with like the ultimate, you know, struggle of mm. mankind, right? The spiritual warrior incarnate. Being versus doing. I yeah. mean, this is this is the shit, right? This like is this it. is the whole ball game, is mm. it not? Mm. Before we unpack that though, you know I'm from Bethesda. I think I knew, I knew you, you were know? like so I thought you were Silver Spring. You're Bethesda. No, I grew up in Bethesda. Okay. And and uh Zach being um from the army reminded me sort of related. So when I was in high school, one of the jobs that I had was uh, delivering pizza. And I delivered pizza for this pizza delivery company called, it was sort of like a Domino's thing, but it was mm -hmm. just a one like family owned one shop thing. And it was called Postal Pizza, oh. which is a terrible name because it's like, we're as slow as the mail. Like I don't get it, you <laughs> no, know? But back then the <laughs> mail was called, respected. It was called Postal Pizza. <laughs> This was the greatest job though. I love this job because basically you just drive around and listen to music mm -hmm. and then you get to knock on people's doors and then look into their house and see how people live. Like when I was 17 or whatever, I thought it was great. You were a Postmates but guy. But what was great about Postal Pizza was, I mean, this is like, I don't know, 1987 or something. Yes. Uh, it, was, it was connected to a, a video rental store. Okay. So you could call up and you order your pizza, but you could also order a movie. So deliver the pizza, and the VHS tape. That's awesome. Right? Which was pretty cool. That's I've right? never heard of that before. One time Ted Koppel came in, walked in. That was the big moment. Come on. There summer. Ordered his pizza in person. But anyway. How great um, was Ted Koppel's but hair? But here's the thing, like uh, what, how great hair. is his what? His, his hair. hair? Yeah, all I know. Time. Is it real? I think it's real. I think it's real. It's quite quaffed, yeah, yeah, is yeah, it not? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, a lot of the orders would come from the Naval base uh, where like NIH is and, um, what is it, Walter Reed? Like yeah. when the president goes to the hospital, wherever. so there's a naval base there. The, the fact that Zach's in the army just reminded me of this. So 70% of the pizza orders were like the enlisted guys at the, at the naval base in Bethesda, which is weird because there's no, it's not on the water. Like, I don't, I don't know what they were, what goes on at that naval base, but mm. anyway, they order a lot of pizza and they were not great tippers. That's, that's my hey, big listen, takeaway. I don't remember you know, that, but you know. Yeah, let's cut let them it go. A break. Let's, let, let's try to let it, I'm breathe that out. about it. Breathe now. it out. Okay. Maybe Zach is a good tipper though. We don't know. We don't know. It depends on- The more he, more, the more Alan Watts he listens to, he's, like, he's gonna, like, hey bro, don't look yeah. at me like you need a tip. It yeah. doesn't really matter. <laughs> it 
doesn't really matter, bro. What can we tell Zach about the the tension between being and doing, Adam? I'm gonna let you take a stab at Me? this first. Yeah, I have some thoughts, but well, you know, it's not like, hey man, should I go to college or not? Like this is the struggle of man. Right, right. Like so when I first started to get into reading the Tao Ching, I felt like going with the flow was a kind of a path of least resistance thing. And so yes, it was like a more it's okay to be a little more passive and let the world have, you know, like flow with the world. Um, which I guess you can be interpreted as reduction of ambition, as in you're not trying to actively do something against the momentum that is just existing that you have to kind of merge with. But the more I read it now, I just see it as a different thing. I see it as how you're um, taming the mind and that is separate from your goals and ambitions. And so the how you train your mind and how you come to balance um, in your mind does that does not mean you're not doing hard things. It doesn't mean you don't have ambition in your life. It means like principles like humility, adaptability, perseverance, which are to me are core, they're core in the Tao, they're core to, to mindfulness. Um, those things are really important to doing hard things. So the way I look at that is that the when you're when you're first reading into philosophy, it's it's easy to kind of get the hook. You get hooked by that passive, not passive. I wouldn't even passive not even the right word, but you get hooked by that kind of feeling of flow because that's what hooks you, right? It's like, oh wow, that we are so small. And that we are in awe of how small we are and how beautiful and vast the world is and the energy that's flowing all around us. And so we're in awe of then that. Comes, then comes the terror. But then, but then you get into, or you're a householder, you know, like now you're in a different place. Like when I was kind of a pebble getting kicked around the world doing the travel stuff, it's easy to stay in that small space. But when you're raising a family and you're, you have other, you have, you're being tugged on in a million directions, these kind of smaller, but actually deeper realizations of, just remain humble, remain adaptable and persevere, which to me is everything. Um, that's, I think, where you can click in to, to continue to have your ambition, continue to do those hard things. Just look at it at that next level or maybe maybe just look at, you know, the way I do it is I don't, I don't read a whole book with the Tao Te Ching. I, I might read one verse every day for weeks. Um, until I'm kind of feel like I got one one part of that lesson. So that's just that way I look at this particular question. Yeah, well said. The idea that being or investing in a state of being um, brings a certain presence of mind and mindfulness to um, to the doing. I think is what you're saying. Yeah. Right. I think when I said terror, what I what I meant by that is there is you know the more the more that you invest in this journey of being the more you realize uh, the fractured illusion of identity, right? The attachments that you've made between what you do and who you are. So here we have a guy who's in the army, who's in a very regimented um, situation, sort of dynamic for his life, in which uh, there's a priority placed on doing hard things, overcoming obstacles in a certain way. And there's an association of masculinity and success that comes with that. And when you start going down the Alan Watts being rabbit hole, uh, you start to deconstruct that identity. <laughs> and that's scary, right? right like, right, well, who right, am right, I, right. right? Like The futility well, of it, right? right yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think this is kind of where, that's you know, he finds insight. himself yes, right now. Yes, I was um, reading that, yeah. You know, this idea that, uh, oh, well, if I'm not, 
you know, in the army or I'm not like climbing a, a wall or, 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 you know, like tackling this difficult problem. Who right. am I? Do like I the more I kind of go down this rabbit hole, it's gonna rob me of that ambition. And that ambition is what I associate with who I am. And when you start to pull the cover on that and realize, well, that's something you do, or it's an attachment you have to a certain sense of your identity that is not actually reality, that's a scary thing, right? So it's like, it's threatening everything that you've constructed in your mind about who you are. So I think that's also this amazing opportunity, right? Like where you can, where you can realize that there's a greater depth and complexity um, to who you are and a dynamism to who you are and how you show up in the world um, that is gonna only expand your life, right? So. I understand and appreciate the fear that gets associated with like, hey man, if I if I keep doing all this stuff, like I'm going to end up in a cave somewhere, penniless, and you know all of that. I found all of those fears to actually be false for the very reasons that you said. Like the more it, it just it basically provides you um, with a clarity that helps you discern what is worthy of your attention, and your attention is really all that you have. How you direct it, where you focus it. Um, is, you know, the most, those are the most important decisions that you make, right? And the clarity that comes with being will allow you to discard or bypass expenditures of your time, energy, focus, and work that are moving away from the person that you're working towards or that you aspire to be. So it is the being that clarifies what is important and what is not such that you can bring a presence and a mindfulness to the doing. The doing doesn't fade away or go away. You can still do hard things and you know exactly the way that you described it, uh, but you're doing it with a level of intentionality and an understanding that by placing your attention on this thing that aligns with your values, you know that uh, that, that doing is worthy of the being that you're bringing to right. it. And just to put a cap on it, like doing hard things. We talk about that as if it's a choice. I mean, the bottom line is we're all gonna have to do hard things because it's life, right? Yeah, and life hard is fucking are, hard. Like they, hard things are coming, you know what I mean? So it's like, that's just the way it is. And um, and I understand that I get what you're saying. I think you you nailed this. And I just wanna say that uh, the terror, it's like, reminds me of existentialism and kind of the, that you can hear in Bob Dylan and, and you, you, you read in Albert Camus, this existential, existentialist terror that uh, everything is futile and it doesn't matter what happens. But actually that's, that's the liberation. Isn't that, isn't that nihilism? But, no, but that's the liberation of existentialism, right? It doesn't matter the outcome of A, B, or C because, and if you feel that way, then that allows you to be free in the action of it. Mm -hmm. And that, therefore everything is liberated. Right. And so I feel like there's a parallel there in Eastern philosophy in terms of as you approach something like that you might have to do at work. It's like, yes, you're gonna give it your all. If it doesn't go your way, you're gonna keep giving it your all because that's what we're here for. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to really answer this guy's question, we would need hours and hours and hours and stacks of books yeah. to go through, right? You just cut my last part. You did yeah. so good. You no, no, no. And then I think I've, I've spoiled it. Let's go to Austin. All right, Austin, Texas. Let's get out of Korea for once. <laughs> <laughs> we could cut that, but it's funny. Actually, for once. <laughs> I mean, go no, to Korea. Good. Let's get out of Korea for once. All right. <laughs> this is good. See, oh didn't you miss God. me? I knew you missed I me. I know. <laughs> 
Hi there. This is Brett Enan. I'm from Austin, Texas, and um, I'm just sitting here doing the very mundane tasks and portion of my work, which um, I feel generally very excited by. I do um, experiential marketing and I'm a consultant for a business and I really enjoy it. But in sort of doing my own business now, I'm just curious, like with all of the show that you've grown and just business in general, knowing that probably 80% of it is just these boring tasks that we have to get through and email and blah, blah, blah. Like if you have any recommendations for how to make the boring parts more stimulating, any mindsets or mental reframes to feel more invigorated and get through the sort of not fun part. So that's my question. I hope you all have a great day. Thanks. Um, I feel like Brett's question taps into the existentialism that you were just talking yes. about a minute ago. Yes. Uh, you know, is there meaning? Is there, is, you know, what is, what is beyond here? How are we going to, you know, find, uh, you know, some kind of purpose beyond the mundanity? And I think layered into this question is perhaps a, uh, a less than fully mature uh, appreciation for the fact that life is not just about leaping from one peak experience to the next, but that in truth, everything worthy of pursuing or doing or building or growing or working towards involves a lot of fucking boring shit, you know? And you gotta just like Goggins would say, embrace the suck, right? Yes, like yes, you gotta yes. suit up and just do the boring shit. Like, you know, whether it's business, especially in social media, you go online and it's just, post after post about, you know, success story and overnight venture capital funding and product launches and all kinds of sexy, exciting stuff. But behind the scenes of anything successful, whether it's a business or a podcast or as an athlete or an author or any creative endeavor, there's just a lot of really hard, unsexy shit mm. that doesn't travel on the internet, but is the underlying truth in the recipe of achieving anything worthwhile in the world, right? So rather than trying to turn those boring tasks into just another peak experience, I think it's reframing it and understanding that this is just part of the journey that you're on in the process of trying to build something for yourself. And there's a there's kind of a powerful lesson about life in that. Uh, and it's back to your attention right? All you have is your attention. How are you directing that attention? And what is the um, kind of default predisposition that you're bringing that attention that, that, is, that is kind of packed onto or attached to the, that attention when you have to do boring shit like answer emails, mm. right? Yeah. Can you reframe it and say, well, this is just, this is something that I have to do. And every person who's trying to build something similar to what I'm trying to build has to do it as well. So can I find gratitude in it? Can I figure out that this is just a piece in a greater journey and that it's serving an important purpose as mundane as it is? Like there's no getting around it. Yeah, no, I mean, you brought up David and I have, it's so funny, like how, like months after this book has come out after working, like I find myself 
like thinking, <laughs> thinking like David more now than maybe after at all in my whole life after having done these two books. And I can, I feel like, I, I don't know for a fact this is how he react, but I think what he would say and, and how he would feel about this is this boring shit is your opportunity to separate yourself from everybody else doing your job. This boring shit right here is why everybody else comes in second or third or fifth or eighth. Because this boring shit just bothers them to the point where they just get half-ass it and give themselves permission to quit. This boring shit is your ticket to be the best there is in your business. I'm not going to top that. So that's another mic drop. I got Courtesy one. Courtesy of Goggins, right? <laughs> yeah. Two for Chris, one for Adam, and that's a wrap. <laughs> um, awesome. Thank you, uh, Chris Evans, for joining us today. As begrudging as you were, it was beautiful to have you. I appreciate you. I love you, buddy. Yeah, and thanks, uh, Adam, good to be back with you, man. Thanks for Maybe having we should, me. Maybe should we do this more often? I'm literally always available. <laughs> literally. <laughs> I will take that to heart. Um, we'll be back when we're back. In the meantime, uh, I do not take your attention for granted. I really appreciate uh, everybody who has listened all the way through to the end of the day. Yeah, you know, all the way. You. you made it, congratulations. Well, you started out yeah. thanking the listeners. Yeah. I thank you uh, for having me back and thank you listeners for tuning in. Thank you, Chris, for your advice and, and your optimism. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, man, that's it. Peace, plants. Namaste. Yeah.